Welcome back, lady listeners. Hey, lady listeners. Thanks for joining us. We have a special Christmas episode for you this week. Well, it's actually a New Year's Eve book, but we're giving it to you on Christmas to listen to. So why not? Um, Karen Gray is a narrator who has done some work for us before on the podcast with recording. And she reached out and said she's got this great book and she just wanted to know if she could play it on the podcast. And we just said, fuck yes, you can. So, it's nice because it's going to be, it's about a little over three hours. It's a novel. Yeah, yeah. So you guys can wrap presents and listen in or run your errands and enjoy the whole thing in one shot. Yep. We're just, we're not even going to tease you with it. This is called Like It's 1999, a Boston Classics novella by Karen Gray. And I'll read you the book bio. Love them and leave them. Alice, Kim, and hot Steve Lowell are perfect for each other. It only takes them 10 years to figure that out. Just because they throw the most bodacious wedding ever. Just because they're perfect partners in pranks. Just because they love all the same boss movies. Just because they share one totally banging night of sex together. Does not mean they'll break the one-time rule. Even if they do, they don't do relationships. And they're never getting married. Like, ever. In this Prince to Lover marriage pack novella spanning the last decade of the 20th century, Life forces a playboy and a playgirl to grow up and grow apart before giving them a chance to create a happily ever after they can actually be happy about. Isn't that cute? I love it. That's super cute. Um, before we send you in, we just want to remind you to check out Alexa Riley's Christmas book. We have a Christmas bundle. There's a novella in it called His Tree Topper that's brand new, and it's got some other Christmas books smashed in there with it. So make sure you check and it out. And then you have the the. Winter Bride and Groom came out. And then while we're away, we will be dropping our own New Year's Eve book at some point Mm -hmm. around the end of the year. Yep. So make sure and check that out, too. We'll post it up everywhere. And um, check for updates and stuff on Read Me Room. It's headquarters for who we've got coming next season. But we are going to kick it off on January 17th with our book on the podcast. So that's when we're coming back again. So make sure you mark your calendars for that week, and we'll meet you right back here. All right. Well, we're going to see you guys on the other side of this. Like It's 1999, a Boston Classics novella written by Karen Gray, performed by Cindy Kay and Ryan West. Part 1. December, 1988. Marriage is a concept invented by people who are lucky enough to make it to 20 without being eaten by dinosaurs. Kevin, St. Elmo's Fire. Alice. On New Year's Eve, a few hours before the clock will tick over to 1989, I race from the warmth of a cab to the promise of warmth inside a cozily lit old Victorian in Somerville. On my heels are my best friend Kate, her best guy friend Steve, and Kate's boyfriend's ex-roommate Pam. It's Pam's house, so I step aside to let her open the front door, but I'm first inside. I can't believe you guys talked me into traipsing around downtown in the cold for hours, I whine, stamping the snow off my boots. Come on, those ice sculptures with a bomb, Pam says as she picks up her dog. Hush, Rufus. Kate, coat still on, hugs herself as she jumps up and down. Can we build a fire? 
when should Will and Deb be back? I ask, rubbing my arms. Or more to the point, when can we start drinking? Kate's boyfriend, Will, is performing in a holiday show tonight. Pam's girlfriend, Deb, is on the same production as Costumer, which was the argument behind going downtown to check out Boston's famous first-night celebration. If we'd stayed in, we'd have been tempted to start partying early, and we'd be wasted by the time the others got home. I'll never admit it, but it was pretty cool seeing downtown all lit up and full of people. The bands were great, and we saw some choice art exhibits. But it's 25 degrees outside, and I'm a Southern girl. Born in South Korea, raised in the American South. Pam checks the clock over the mantle. They'll be home from the show in an hour or so, but I say we need to warm up, inside and out. She points at Steve and me. You two make the fire. Kate, you help me get the drinks since you know where everything is. Steve moves the screen away from the hearth. Works for me. He nods at the pile of newspapers nearby. Can you ball those up and stick them under the grate? I salute him. Yes, sir. We get the fire laid quickly. But every time he tries to light the kindling, the match blows out. I can't believe this. This has never happened to me before. He shakes a finger at me. Don't tell anyone. It would devastate my reputation as a dude. Sixteen candles, good quote. I manage through chattering teeth. When he finally gets it lit, I stand as close as possible to the flames. Is it just me, or do they keep the heat really low in this house? It is a little drafty, he says, putting an arm around my shoulder. Man, you're like a furnace. I've never actually been this close to Steve. Funnily enough, I've never spent a whole lot of time with him. Katie and I were college roommates. Kate met Steve at her first job after college. Even though we're all in Boston, we live in different neighborhoods and work in different fields. Plus, while Kate's close to him now, she complained an awful lot about him when she started traveling with him. Said he was just another self-centered, self-involved, self-aggrandizing sales guy. She never really explained what made her change her mind about the man that the women at the firm dubbed Hot Steve. I'm pretty sure the moniker refers to his preppy good looks. But from where I'm sitting, he's literally toasty. The longer I'm up close and personal with him, though, the more my shivers shift from full body to one particular location. Not sure if that's a good idea or not. I mean, I'm always up for a sexual adventure. But maybe not with my best friend's best friend. You just have to learn to dress for it. He rubs my upper arm. It's all in the outerwear. Yeah, I went for cute rather than comfortable, I guess. Well, you were successful on that front. He squeezes me once more and then steps away, clapping his hands. Let's go see what's keeping those two. By the time Will and Deb get home, a cup of hot chocolate spiked with rum and flavored with cinnamon has me warmed right up. We've settled around the coffee table, and I'm just about to deal the cards for another round of gin rummy when Will clears his throat. Kate stills my hands. We have some difficult news to share. Before she can continue, Pam leans over to whisper to Deb. Shin, I told you something was up. Deb reaches across the table to grab Will's hand. Whatever it is, we're here for you. Will's head drops to his chest, and he heaves out a huge sigh. It's hard to know where to begin. Steve elbows me and gives me a look like, what the fuck is happening? I mouth back, I have no idea, before sending my own, what the fuck is happening, to Kate. Just as I start to get worried, a blush blooms on her cheeks. 
know her too well. The news is going to be good. I lean over to Steve to whisper, I think this party's about to become a historical fact. Before he can guess what movie that was from, some kind of wonderful duh, Kate squeals, we're getting married. You asshole, Deb whaps Will upside the head. I thought somebody died. Sorry. His expression makes it clear that he's not at all sorry. It's just too easy. Pam shrugs. I knew it. You did not, Deb argues. Did too. Did not. Steve leans over to whisper in my ear. Are they always like this? I don't even bother to keep my voice low. Pretty sure. Lifting my mug, I get to my feet. Well, friends, I think a combination of congratulations and condolences are in order. Facing Kate, I say, farewell to your freedom and single girl status. And you, young man, I turn to Will. You break her heart, I break your face. He bows. Well said. Then he grins. Actually, someone else said it better. Pam groans. Not a Shakespeare quote. He can't help it, you guys, Kate says, throwing her arms around Will. And Alice did quote some kind of wonderful twice, Steve points out. Despite the barrage of balled-up napkins we send his way, Will, whose ability to quote Shakespeare is way more freakish than my ability to quote popular movies, forges ahead. When I said I would die a bachelor, I did not think I would have lived till I were married. Much ado about nothing. Kate shifts away from his embrace. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Hmm, I guess out of context. How about, this is a way to kill a wife with kindness? This doesn't sound much better to me. But he punctuates the quote with an ellipses of kisses, and she sighs, obviously totally in love, before turning to the rest of us, her cheeks still rosy with happiness. Anywho, we wanted to tell you guys first, because we'd like you to be our wedding party, along with our siblings. Deb claps her hands. Yay! I love being a bridesmaid. Can I design the dresses? Kate holds up a hand. Well, hang on. We have something a little different in mind. Deb and Pam, even though I love you guys, you were Will's friends first. She gestures to Steve. Where is hot? Um, Steve is my buddy. She almost called you hot Steve, I say out of the corner of my mouth. That's my name, don't wear it out, he shoots back. Alice and Steve, I'd love for you to stand up with me. Naturally, I'm up for the job. I've bridesmaided for lesser friends. But we'll have a boy on our team? One. He sits up straighter. You think I can't handle being a bridesman? Kate clears her throat. I think you're up for starting a new trend in wedding parties. The bigger challenge will be dealing with my sister, the third bridesmaid. She can get a little nutty at weddings. Will circles his hand with a dramatic flourish. And Deb and Pam, I'd love for you to be my... Uh, I don't know what we'll call it, but you are my best friends in the world, so I can't imagine getting married without you at my back. And I'm sure you'll have no problem at all keeping my brothers in line. Ah, I can't help but say. You guys are fucking adorable. Here's the thing, though, Kate says. We want to get married on New Year's Eve next year, so your Christmas travel will have to work around that. I tap a finger on my lips and pretend to think hard. What I'm hearing is that I'll need to be back from Atlanta the day after Christmas. I nod, willing Kate to nod along with me. That will curtail my parents' matchmaking opportunities in a delightful way for me. 
I guess I won't be skiing next year, Steve moans. When Kate's expression shifts to worry, he says, kidding, who goes skiing between Christmas and New Year's? That's when all the yahoos are there. He shrugs, I'm in, but, he points at Deb, I'm not wearing a dress. She sniffs, I doubt you have the legs for it anyway. Unbelievable, you make someone a bridesmaid and they shit all over you, Steve huffs. I can't help it, I lean into him with a sigh of my own. Sixteen candles, you know all my favorite movies. The rest of the evening is full of laughter, teasing, and planning. Honestly, I couldn't be happier for my best friend. She's found a unicorn, a good guy who's good-looking and who adores her. Not that I'm planning to settle down anytime soon, if ever, but I have to admit that I'm a wee bit jealous. They're such a good match. Her parents even like him. Nope, 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 Alice. The only way you manage your current lifestyle doing work that's fun, wearing clothes that are fun, going out with guys that are fun, is staying far away from commitment, as well as Atlanta. The clock will run out someday, and you will have to go home and face the music. But as long as you keep everyone guessing, from your parents to your dates, no one can pin you down. Suddenly aware of the heat emanating from the arm draped casually across the couch behind me, an arm that just happens to be attached to a blonde, blue-eyed charmer of a man. I squelched the sexy thought sipping through me again. As tempting as he might be, I can't go there. One, as we've established, he's my best friend's best friend. Two, his brand of sexy is one I could get addicted to. Three, he's not Korean. Steve. This may be the silliest New Year's Eve party I've ever been to, but I think it might also be the most fun. In the past, it's been either getting drunk at a bar with a bunch of frat brothers or work buddies, pretty much the same thing, and going home with some girl I picked up, or going to some stuffy thing wherever my parents happen to be living at the time, and spending the night being polite, and then going home with some girl I picked up. Tonight, I'm pleasantly buzzed, but I'm not drunk. We've been playing games all night, and I'm laughing my ass off. There is a girl, but she's off limits. Not because she's with someone else, at least I don't think she is, but because... Well, I don't really have a good reason, except that I like her, the way I like Kate. Alice is hot, great legs, big brown eyes but I could see us being friends the way Kate and I are. She's wicked smart, too. Too smart for me, for sure. Right now, I've got to focus to have a chance at beating her team at charades. I mean, they have the actor on their team. Kate, Pam, and I hold our own until I get this clue. No shirt, no shoes, no dice. Of course, I know the quote. But while the girls get the first four words right away, nothing I do gets them to no dice. They just keep guessing no service. When Will calls time, Kate groans. What was the answer? I hold up the slip of paper. No shirt, no shoes, no dice. Pam grabs it from me. What the heck does that mean? Fast times at Ridgemont High? Alice and I say at the same time. I point to her. Exactly. Then I throw my hands in the air. 
How do you guys not know that movie? I've heard of it, Kate huffs, but I don't have it memorized. Dude, Spicoli! Alice high-fives me. Deb yawns and flops back on the couch. All right, all right, let's start this new year right and call it a draw. I need to go to bed. She waves at Pam. Sweetie, would you grab a pillow and a blanket for Steve from the closet? I wave their offer of hospitality down. Guys, it's fine, I'm not drunk, I don't need to stay over. Deb makes a face. But we wanna have a sleepover. We have a yummy breakfast plan for the morning and everything. Kate nods. Also, it's the other drivers you have to worry about. Plus, the roads are totally icy. I could argue that I learned to drive the year my family lived in Buffalo, where you don't see the ground from November to April. But this couch is pretty darn cozy. You win, I say over a yawn. But wait, I didn't bring my flannel nightgown with the tiny little flowers. We didn't do makeovers. Nobody braided my hair. Isn't that what you do at sleepovers? Alice shoves my shoulder. We'll do that as part of the wedding planning. Don't you worry. Despite the distraction of her waggling eyebrows, I managed to snag a flying pillow before it hits me in the face. Nice catch, Pam says, following up with a blanket. There are new toothbrushes in the hall bathroom. Deb points at Alice. You get the guest bed, Missy. It's got fresh sheets. Kate pulls Will out of the chair they've been sharing. I guess that means we get your old room. Alice waves lazily from the other end of the couch. Good night, everybody. Love you, Katie Mae. As the two couples, Deb and Pam, Will and Kate, shuffle off to bed, I turn to Alice. How come you get to call her Katie and I don't? She rolls her eyes. It's Katie May. That's her southern name. Her southern name? She looks at me like I'm the weirdo here. Yes. And do you have a southern name? Well, duh. And it is? Allie May. Ah, very creative. Dodging away from a jabbing foot, I ask, do you two have other names for each other? Steve, we were roommates for four years. Four formative years. So? So of course we have other nicknames. Can I hear some? She narrows her eyes at me. What's it worth to you? You get dibs on. I flip through memories of rom-coms I've watched, trying to think of what it is that bridesmaids do. You get to choose the place where we... Get our nails done? Her brow furrows. Before the wedding, I clarify. She laughs as if she'd forgotten all about the wedding. Ha, I'll take it. Okay, well, there are our regular nicknames, like KK and Alpal. Then there are our mad names, what we use when the other one's in trouble. Miss Catherine Louise and Miss Alice Jane. Oh, and we have pirate names. Pirate names? Yeah, Katie Mady and Captain Al. At this, my laugh is so loud that Pam yells, Go to bed, you two. Okay, Mommy. Alice yells back, sounding like she's seven rather than 27.
I hold a finger to my lips. Shh, you'll get us in trouble. Rock, paper, scissors for who gets the bathroom first. Her jaw drops, and a delicate hand splays over her chest. You mean I don't get to go first automatically? She asks, lengthening her vowels into her every once in a while southern accent. Keep talking in that accent and you'll get whatever you want. Hmm, I'll keep that in mind. After leaning over to give my cheek a quick peck, she tries to push off my thigh to stand, but loses her balance and lands on my lap. Whoops. Hands on her hips to steady her. I can't stop myself from pressing my nose into her hair. You smell good. Instead of trying to stand again, she leans back into me. You feel good. And suddenly, a certain part of me feels especially good. You know how much damage we could do to each other in an hour. I whisper into her neck. Pretty sure she'll get the some kind of wonderful reference. The house is so quiet I can hear her breath hitch before she answers. It's kind of a revolting thought. Turning around to straddle my thighs, she whispers, so bad it might be good. My brain has flown south, but I've got to ask, are you drunk? Just a little buzzed. She levers back to look me in the eye. Could be a fun way to start 1989. You mean sleepover? Okay, but I get to be on top, I say, waggling my eyebrows. She snorts. Quoting big at me is not gonna change my mind. Mustering every bit of self-control I've got, I slap her lightly on the hip. Let's brush our teeth, and if you still want in after that, I point at my lap. I'm up for a celebration. She extricates herself from me, and the couch with deliberation, and this time around her legs are steady when she stands. After a long pause, she taps my shoulder and whispers, race you. Alice, just so you know, this can never happen again, I say as I pull Steve into the bedroom. Agreed. Steve caresses my lower lip with his and skims his fingertips under my sweater. His feather-light touch along my waist promises good things to come. So I shut the door, switch off the rude overhead light, leaving the room in the soft glow of a much more flattering lamplight. Whip off my sweater, kick off my boots and socks, shuck my jeans, whip the bed covers down, and hop into bed. Get in here before I freeze my ass off. As you wish. Hmm. I hum as I enjoy my own private strip show, which reveals a lean, muscular body covered by smooth, tanned skin. Come to think of it, you do have a bit of Wesley in you, if Wesley used hair products. He musses his hair, flexing very nice pecs in the process. Wesley totally used product. No one's hair is that perfect. Should I call you farm boy instead of hot Steve? He slides into bed next to me and traces a finger across the top of my bra. If I can call you Buttercup. Snorting at his suggestion that I look anything like the tall blonde actress in The Princess Bride, I roll on top of him. You can polish my saddle in the morning, but right now you've got to warm me up. 
My wish is his command. His clever fingers are suddenly everywhere at once. My bra and thong are gone before I know it, replaced by reverent palms on my butt and a hungry mouth on my boobs. Farm boy, Steve. Dude, I hope you have a condom. I breathe into his ear. So open for business, I'm tempted to let him slide right in. I'm on the pill, but... Fortunately for everyone, I'm here and I'm thinking. Oh, what's that from again? Desperately seeking, Susan. Hmm, I'm desperately seeking something right now. He reaches toward the floor for his jeans and drops a string of shiny packets on the bedside table. There when we need them. How about right this minute? Buttercup, I haven't even gotten started with you. Kissing his way down my torso to my thighs, he scoops his hands under my butt and pulls me close to his very wicked mouth. So delightfully wicked that I don't even care that my ears and nose and nipples are exposed to the cold. As he teases me to the edge over and over again, I give up whatever control I thought I had here. One hand tangled in his hair, the other pressed against my own mouth. I'm nowhere near in charge when I let go, and wave after wave crashes over me. Before I can catch my breath, he flips me over again. The crinkle of a wrapper signals the action to come, and he positions my hips with confident hands. Bracing myself on one elbow, I reach the other hand back to guide him in. It's a tight fit. I circle my hips and press back, the pressure and the stretch an exquisite balance of pleasure and pain. When his thighs hit my butt, he's further inside me than anyone's ever been. Wow, you ever think about shooting a porn film, hot Steve? He laughs softly as he covers my back with his chest and begins a slow slide in and out while I clench and release around him. I could do this all night. Every nerve ending is dancing with pleasure, but I'm greedy and impatient, so I whisper, I feel the need. Man, he gets me, because he finishes the Top Gun quote right along with me. The need for speed. And we all lived happily ever after. Until a few hours later, when I realized that I just had the best sex of my life, multiple times, which really sucks. I've had a lot of sex, a lot of it good, some of it pretty terrible, most of it fine. But it's like his tab A was made for my slot B. And now we have to just go back to being casual friends who have to help plan a wedding together. Well, shit. Steve, when I wake up on the first morning of 1989, Deb yelling at Pam is the first sound I hear. The first thing I see is Alice's beautiful face. Brushing a wayward wisp of her bangs out of the way, I lean in to kiss her cheek, but she scoots away before I can make contact. Nope. Sitting up, she shakes her head firmly. Then... I guess to make sure I get the message, she makes a cross with her fingers and holds it up between us. Jeez, I'm not a vampire. You may as well be. She crosses her arms over her chest. Don't make me regret having sex with you, Steve. Steve, not farm boy. 
hands to my chest like I've been shot. I way overreact as I quote St. Elmo's fire. You break my heart. Then again, you break everyone's heart. She blows out a breath. Listen, I'm sorry to be so harsh so early in the morning, but we have to nip this in the bud. There's no way we'll get through planning Kate's wedding if we're entangled. I have a one-time rule, and it's there for a reason. One time? As in sex? I think we broke that already. One big event. One night of sex, whatever. She flips a hand in the air. It's the only way to keep things simple. Huh. Is that a problem? Uh... I guess I'd do the same thing. I just never thought about it like that. Oh, good. I really didn't want things to be all awkward. More yelling from the other side of the bedroom door has me pointing at it. What do you want to tell them? They're going to know I slept in here. She purses her lips for half a moment before shrugging. I think we should just tell them the truth. We had sex. We're not dating. We won't ever be. Even though part of me wants to make a Lloyd Dobler argument for friends with potential, she seems pretty clear about what she wants. Okay. Okay. I said okay. She wipes a hand across her brow. Phew. I was worried you'd be mad. I'm not used to getting the brush off so quickly or so... Thoroughly, but I agree. We should keep things simple. She shivers, making me want to warm her up again. Before I can reach for her, she's out of bed and half-dressed. I can't stop myself from asking, but the sex was okay, right? Thankfully, she sends a satisfied grin my way. The sex was very okay. Totally very okay. She pulls her sweater over her head. Let's leave it at that so we're not disappointed in each other. Damn, she is the female version of me. When you don't have anything, you don't have anything to lose. A whole array of emotions pass over her face as she considers the quote. Exactly. Sixteen candles for the win. Moments later, we're in the kitchen facing the rest of the crew. True to her word, Alice dispenses with their curiosity in short order. Yes, Steve and I slept together last night. She wags a finger at Deb and Pam. It was either that or wake you up to ask for another blanket. The former was easier to accomplish. Way to make me feel like a man whore, I sputter. She rolls her eyes. It was also a lot more fun. Better? After I grunt, she ticks that bossy finger back and forth in front of Kate's face. But no getting any ideas, Missy. No high hopes and moony faces from you. We had sex, and that's it. We're not together. She makes air quotes. And we never will be. She draws a line in the air between us. Neither of us does together, so I don't want to hear anything about it. Got it? Fists on hips, she glares at Kate, then Will, then Deb, then Pam, then me. 
Usually it's me having to sell no strings attached sex. I should be relieved that I got it without having to work for it. So why do I feel like I've been robbed? Part 2. December, 1989. What happens to us in the future? Do we become assholes or something? Marty McFly, Back to the Future. Alice. Through thick and thin, no matter what's going on with work or the rest of our lives, Kate and I find time to run together. It's when we catch up and give each other shit. So I start right in, the moment our heels hit the pavement. I'm surprised Will let you out of bed to meet me this early. She shoves me, almost hard enough to break my stride. Hey, he's no caveman. Wait, I'm not that kind of girlfriend, am I? I haven't abandoned you just because I found the man of my dreams. Nah, you were way more married to your job at the investment firm, and I'm talking an abusive marriage than I can imagine you ever being to Will. She doesn't say anything for a few minutes. Her breath is puffing out in regular little white clouds in the frigid air. So I know it's not that she can't talk. Just when my mind reaches the blessed zen of a runner's high, she blurts out, that's why I asked Steve to be a bridesmaid, you know. Huh? Usually I can follow the zigs and zags of Kate logic, but she's lost me this time. He doesn't belong at my old firm either, but he doesn't know it. He doesn't hang out with anyone who isn't steeped in that frat boy culture except me. She taps me on the arm. And I was hoping you. He needs smart female friends, but you're avoiding him. What, have we not met all of our deadlines? She groans. You guys have done a great job. I just thought you'd have more fun doing it, that we could all hang out. But you guys slept together, and now almost a whole year has gone by, and you still avoid each other. That's not... My argument fades before I can make it, because I know she's right. I'm afraid I'll want to sleep with him again if I spend too much time in his actual presence. Doing everything by phone has been safer. Okay, you're probably right. I just didn't want things to be awkward. A half-truth, but that's what I'm going with. I guess I can help you raise the poor man's consciousness. Yay, she claps, turning sideways to skip along next to me. Just think of him as a project. Like at work, when you guys have to change a company's image. It's not Steve's image that needs fixing. He's prettier than any man has a right to be. Kind of a perfect mix of Carrie Elwes and Rob Lowe. Before Rob Lowe got to be a creep, that is. Okay, Nick's Rob Lowe, except for his haircut. Big blue eyes, clean-cut square jaw. Blonde hair with highlights women pay beaucoup dollars for. Ahem the smirky interruption from Kate has me shutting down this dangerous line of thinking. Hush, you. I'll work on him, but that's it. She makes a pouty face. I counter right back with my don't push me face. Okay, okay, she finally sighs. I'll help you reform him or whatever you want to call it. A memory, in technicolor, of his naked chest pressed against mine has me picking up my pace as if I could run away from the whole bad idea of me and hot Steve. But you know I don't date, and no offense, but I am never, ever getting married. At least not while I'm here in Boston, far enough away from Atlanta that I can keep my parents in the dark about what I do all day, or all night. Someday they'll figure out a way to pull the plug on my playgirl lifestyle and make me move back home. 
The fact that they think they can do this in America in the 20th century is as pathetic as it is true. Parental guilt is a powerful force. One I'll fight as long as I can. Steve. The first Saturday of December, Kate and Will and Alice and I take the afternoon to make the rounds of a few bars and restaurants that have private rooms for parties. Once Kate's mom heard tell of the wedding plans, she threw a fit and demanded that the actual wedding take place at their country club in Virginia. Since the couple's theater friends aren't likely to be able to get away for a whole weekend, they've decided to throw a party here in Boston after the fact to celebrate with the locals. Lucky for them, I've been to bachelor and engagement parties all over this city, so I was able to come up with a good list of potential venues. Seems like most of my many cousins or fraternity and prep school buddies have gotten married in the past couple of years. It's like an infectious disease. At the moment, we're checking out my favorite option. The place does fancy cocktails and has an upstairs room called the Speakeasy. It even has a clawfoot tub. They don't make gin in it, but they do fill it with ice and beer. It's also near a tea stop, so people don't have to drive. It's perfect. Kate hugs me and then grabs Will's hand. He nods as he scopes out the room. We could even do a costume thing, like a 20s theme. Alice looks up from the bar stool where she's been taking notes. That would be way cool. People like an excuse to dress up without having to wear the same old, same old. She flips through her calendar. The thing with this place is availability. I think the guys said that they're booked solid until the end of January. While Kate and Will go down the hall to check with the manager, I take a load off and sit next to Alice. As she slides her notes down the bar, something catches my eye. Hey, is that me? Grabbing the pad before I can, she studies it. Oh yeah, I guess it is. You guess? I shift closer so I can study the drawing. Or doodling. It's something in between. In simple lines, she's rendered an image of me sitting on the edge of the bathtub. So this is your profession. I start the scene from the movie Cocktail. Perfect, since we're seated at a bar. She doesn't disappoint. Grinning, she replies, more like my obsession. Seriously, though, when I'm thinking through something, my hand just draws. Seriously, though, why aren't you a professional artist? This is freakily good. I ease it out of her hands because I've never actually seen a drawing of myself before. I mean, you do have an excellent subject here. She grabs the notepad back and whacks me with it. You're incorrigible. I tap the paper. You know most people can't do this, right? Yeah. She shrugs as she sets it on the bar. It's how I learned English. By drawing? Yeah. Resting the side of her head on her hand, her gaze lands on the array of bottles in front of us. When we moved to the States, none of us knew any English, except my dad. And he was at work all day. I was the only Korean kid in my class, and they didn't know what to do with me. So I would just draw what the teacher wrote on the board. 
A couple nights a week, this Korean woman my parents had hired to tutor us would come over and help me decipher what I'd written. That is wild. You drew the words, but you didn't know what they were. They were just shapes to me. How old were you? Ten. I was in fifth grade. My teacher had the most beautiful cursive writing. It was kind of soothing to copy it. But you didn't study art at all? She shakes her head. First of all, there's no way my parents would have let me study art. Not practical. At least I make enough money to support myself working in PR. Holding up her drawing of me, she smirks. What am I going to do with this? Sit on the pier and draw tourists? This isn't art. It's a party trick. Whatever you say. But I want this. When she frowns, I add, pretend I'm a tourist. What do I owe you? She rips the page off the pad. For you? No charge. She holds it aloft before I can grab it. This time. After she hands the drawing over, I fold it carefully and slide it in my jacket pocket. Funny. I kind of thought you'd learned English from movies, since you're a fan with such encyclopedic knowledge. When she smiles, I'm pulled right into her orbit. Yeah. My brothers and I did spend a lot of time watching movies together. Especially once I figured out that quoting the latest movies made me, well, popular. It was a way for me to fit in with the white kids. I'm picturing tiny little Alice clowning her way to popularity when she nudges me. What about you? Me what? You're quite the movie buff yourself. I'm about to tell her that since my dad worked for IBM, a.k.a. I've been moved, we relocated every year, making movie characters my only consistent friends. But before I can open my mouth, Kate sticks her head between us. We're going to go with the last weekend of January, after the honeymoon. And I'm out of here. I've got to go play Bob Cratchit up in Beverly, Will says after kissing Kate thoroughly. Thanks for the help, you two. Anyone interested in a movie? I ask as I put my jacket back on. There are a couple of indies playing in Coolidge Corner. Kate checks her watch. Sounds fun, but I have work I need to catch up on. Seriously? Alice pouts. It's Saturday night. Kate shrugs. I work around Will's schedule so I can hang out with him when he's free during the day. But you guys should go. You know I fall asleep at movies anyway. Alice rolls her eyes. You are such an old woman. Pointing a finger gun at Alice, Kate says, You're going to regret that comment on our run tomorrow morning. Do you need a ride home, Kate? Even though Somerville is in the opposite direction, I don't want to leave her hanging. Nah, it's just one tea stop away from here. You can walk me to the subway, though. After dropping Kate at the tea station, Alice and I head back to my car, discussing the best route from Kendall Square to Brookline. While I warm up the car, she inspects the interior. Where's the enormous box of cassettes I've heard so much about? So you and Kate talk about me? Oh, man. 
She used to complain about you being a total control freak about your car and your music. Well, when something's important to you, you should take care of it. I reach across and lower the passenger side visor, revealing the sleeve storing my favorite CDs of the moment. I'm all disc now. She runs a finger over the music selection on offer. You've expanded your musical tastes beyond classic rock as well. I shrug. Gotta stay up with the times. I don't see any pixies up here. I push the play button. Already in the carousel. Once we're warmed up and the music is playing, I try not to be distracted by Alice's car dancing, somehow as hilarious as it is sexy. So we have a difficult choice as far as the movie goes. Oh yeah? You never said what was playing. Heathers and Sex, Lies, and Videotape. She checks her watch. If we can get there in time, I say we do a double feature and have popcorn for dinner. A girl after my own heart. Oops, didn't mean to say that out loud. Alice. A few days after Kate and Will decide on a location for their local wedding celebration, Steve and I meet up after work to finalize our bridesmaid plans. I suppose I should be focusing on our to-do list, as well as on my promise to open Steve's mind to the existence of life outside of golf clubs and cigar clubs and other boys-only clubs. But I can't seem to stop winding him up. If we're going to get through this together, you have to stop calling me Hot Steve, he growls. But that's your name, dude. He drops his head into his hands. Okay, you can call me Hot Steve if we nix the Chippendales. Oh, now that's a tough one. I wonder if this was his plan all along. The guy does wheel and deal for a living. I'm a pretty tough customer, though. I don't know. I mean, Kate's face when a couple of oiled-up, half-naked guys grind away in front of her. That'd be priceless, right? The look on Steve's face is priceless. Almost as fun as Kate's would be. But then I remember that Kate's pre-wedding week should not be about torturing her. She'd hate it, wouldn't she? No shit, Sherlock. All right then, Steve... Kate's wrong about this guy needing to be reformed. He's a better man than I. All I can think about is causing trouble. That's it. There's one kind of trouble Kate would actually appreciate. I grab his forearm. We have to do a prank. Uh, okay. Is that a thing bridesmaids do? No, it's a thing Kate does. Kate Bishop? I throw a pretzel at him. Yes, Kate Bishop. She may have acted all straight-laced at your stuffy investment firm, but Kate was the queen of pranks at Harvard. I lean closer to him. In fact, you didn't hear it from me, but she told me once that if she'd known MIT was so famous for his hacks, she would have done anything to get in there. I took a sip of my G&T. In fact, she considered trying to transfer, but I talked her into staying and making her mark at Harvard. Steve shakes his head, his expression dubious. I have a hard time picturing this version of Kate. What kind of pranks are we talking about? Like the weather balloon at the Harvard football game? Hers were smaller scale for sure. Mostly in our house or between rival houses. She'd recruit people to help, but it wasn't like there was a whole secret society behind her, like at MIT. Steve rotates his bar stool so he's facing me. 
All I can think about is whether he looks better in profile, where his straight nose and sharp brow contrast with his soft lower lip, or straight on, where you get the full force of his light blue eyes. I need an example. He reaches across to knock on my forehead. Hello, anybody home? After swatting his hand away, I turn back to my notes. What were we talking about? Oh, right, Kate. Duh, the reason we're here. Well, one time, when these girls in a suite across the courtyard from ours went out of town for the weekend, she got into their rooms and attached a bunch of their stuff to the ceiling. It totally looked like the room was upside down. The looks on their faces when they came home? Wicked awesome. As he unties the sweater from around his shoulders and hangs it over the back of his bar stool, he tuts in disapproval. Kate Bishop breaking and entering. I can't even believe it. Another time, she got all the girls in Westfield House, the super stuck-up girls, to sign up for a defensive driving course supposedly taught by Eric Estrada. Somehow, she found a guy who resembled him to teach an actual class. One of the girls bragged about sleeping with Eric Estrada for months afterward. I think Kate lost money on the whole thing, but it was totally worth it. Well, I guess we can try and come up with a prank. He taps on my notebook. But we also have to cover everything she expects us to. What else is on your list? I pat him on the shoulder. Oh, Steve, you're such a good little bridesmaid. He sits up straight. I told you, it's bridesman. I don't think that's a word. Just because I made it up doesn't mean you can't honor my request. Buy me another drink and I'll call you whatever you want, honey. You're cute when you use that accent. Don't I know it, sugar? He grunts, but orders us another round. Thank you, Consor. I employ my best Blanche Dubois as I lift my refreshed G&T. To weddings that aren't ours. We clink and then get back to work. A week or so later, as we near wedding ground zero, we all meet up in a costume shop where Deb works to do final fittings. Even Steve. Everybody decent? The bridesman's warm baritone is muffled by the heavy drapes that cordon off a changing area, but still recognizable. Hang on, I'm only half in this thing. Kate's sister, Laura, who has flown up for the weekend and seems way too excited to be away from her kids, whimpers as Deb struggles with the zipper on her dress. I thought I could lose more of the baby weight than I did. Deb pats her on the shoulder. Don't worry, sweetie, I can let it out a bit. Even though Deb offered to create a gown for her, Kate's mom insisted on paying for a real wedding dress. So Kate hired Deb to design the rest of the bridal party outfits. I'm a fan. She and Kate picked a gorgeous dark teal fabric, and Deb created a different silhouette for each of us. I'm particularly happy about mine. It fits perfectly. It's comfortable, and it shows off my best assets, my legs and arms. My ass and boobs are practically non-existent, which is good for running, but sometimes it's nice to feel feminine, too. This dress does the trick. I scan the room. Everyone else is dressed. Can Steve come in now? I do have to make sure his vest fits, Deb says. All the guys have vests to match our dresses, since Will can't seem to go anywhere without wearing a vest. His baby pictures must be hilarious. Pam, who slipped into her version of the bridesmaid outfit in no time, a mod 70s-era jumpsuit, waves an arm lazily from the couch in the corner. Let the man in. Laura makes a face and flops into a chair. Yeah, I give up. We're ready for you, big guy, I call. Not that I'll admit it, but I've been looking forward to seeing Steve all week. 
I don't know why Kate thinks he needs reforming. Things haven't even been awkward between us. I'm not going to break my one-time rule, but I can enjoy the company and the view. When he doesn't join us, I part the curtains. Steve, did you hear that? Oops. Unused to the new heels I put on for the fitting, I almost fall over when confronted with a tray full of champagne flutes. Somehow, Steve manages to steady me without spilling a drop. Good catch, I breathe. Wouldn't want to waste all this goodness. Ah, it ain't a party till something gets broken. I thought it was, it ain't a party until somebody loses an eye, Pam calls out. Deb hands a glass to Pam as I serve Laura. You're both wrong. It's, it's all fun and games until somebody loses an eye. I grab a glass and hand it to the bride-to-be. Not in St. Elmo's fire. After setting the tray down, Steve gives me a flute and raises his own. Ready to get this party started? Hand fluttering in front of my heart like a good southern bell, I coo. Did anybody ever tell you you're the perfect man? Without missing a beat, he answers, yeah, pretty much every weekend. I salute him. Guess I set you up for that one. You did indeed. Turning to the ladies, I raise my glass for a toast. To the kick-ass bridal party that's going to stand by while this girl signs her life away. At Kate's groan, I quickly switch course. I mean, we're going to support her in every way we can while she executes the biggest deal of her lifetime while wearing the poofiest dress I've ever seen. Kate's face lights up with laughter, and even Laura grins. Or maybe it's the champagne she's sucking down. But when I catch Steve's eye, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Steve, are you crying? Sorry, I mean, first off, I feel so honored to be here, to get a peek at this girl world, but... He actually wipes a tear from his eye. Look at you, Kate. You're like a princess. Deb rearranges the train. I hate to admit it, but I couldn't have done better myself. That sweetheart neckline is perfect on you. Kate lifts her glass. My mom may have picked the dress and the wedding venue and the menu, but I got to pick the important things the DJ, the cake flavor, and the bridal party. After we all clink, she takes a big sip of the champagne, just as Pam says, uh, and the groom. Kate manages to swallow her mouthful of champagne before it comes out of her nose, but just barely. Oh yeah, him too. Steve. When I catch sight of Alice as she emerges from the jetway in Richmond, Virginia, my solar plexus buzzes with a kind of nervous energy that I usually associate with... Actually, I'm not sure I know this feeling. It's not like I'm worried about how the wedding will turn out. We're in Kate's home territory for the week, and she's got everything planned down to the last second. Maybe it's more like anticipation. When Kate asked if I'd pick up Alice from the airport, I did my best to pretend I hadn't been angling for the job. I get to spend a whole week hanging out with love em and leave em Alice, something most guys don't get to do. My letter scanned the waiting crowd for just a few more moments so I can enjoy the view. She really is a gorgeous girl. No wonder she's left broken hearts across Boston. Clear skin, wide-set eyes, a round face with the cutest pointy little chin. But it's when she sees me that her expression has my heart growing like the Grinch's. It's not a polite smile. It's an actual glad-to-see-me grin. 
Before I can move or say a word, she's knocking her forehead against my sternum. Ow. Sorry. I'm just so relieved to be away from my family. She rubs my chest. Ooh, nice muscles there, farm, but... When I raise a brow, she pats my right peck. I mean, Steve. Opening my arms wide, I say, would you like to do a complete inventory? Her half-moon eyebrows waggle. Tempting. She gives me one last pat. But we've got work to do, young man. Just to prolong the fun, and because I can't help it, I nod my head toward the window. Couldn't help but notice, your plane looks like a big Tylenol. Bless her, she bites, even as she rolls her eyes. They could even fly the plane and land it. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. This woman. I mean, it's one thing for a girl to have 16 candles memorized, but airplane too? Hip-checking me back to earth, she taps her watch. Wedding day countdown has begun. We are T-minus five days. Where's our bride-to-be? Oh, ho, ho. Miss Katie Mady has got HQ running at her parents' place. I pull the spreadsheet Kate has created, color-coded with each person's duties, out of my back pocket and show it to Alice. Our girl has got everything under control. Alice rubs her hands together giving us plenty of time to make sure our secret plan is underway. Let's get to baggage claim, and I can fill you in on where we are with that. Deb and Pam and Laura are working on it as we speak. She hooks her arm in mine. No need. I didn't check a bag. After shouldering the carry-on at her feet, I steer her in the direction of the parking garage. A woman who travels light. I didn't know there was such a thing. A sharp elbow jabs my side. No sexist talk, or I'll have to go back to objectifying you. Despite the fact that I'd be happy to hear that kind of talk from her, I zip my lips and steer her in the direction of my rental car. It's a two-hour drive from the Richmond airport to the town where Kate grew up, but I'm not complaining. I get why Kate loves Alice so much. She keeps things light. A good balance for serious-minded Kate, and just has a zest for life. A phrase I never really got till I hung out with her. Like, she adds a flavorful zing to any and every activity. Let's play a game, she says, turning in her seat next to me. You know those historical marker signs that they put up on the side of the road? Every time we see one, we make up a story about it. Uh, okay. I'll go first. We're on a two-lane highway winding through rural Virginia. It doesn't take long to find one. Oh, this is a good one. Skinker's Neck, she reads. So yeah, Skinker's Neck is the place where members of the Skinker family took their dates. To Neck. Oh my God, I groan. She swats me. I'm not done. Now, it's historic because of the one time that Tom Skinker talked Minnie Fluperton, the sheriff's daughter, into necking with him. Sadly, they were caught, 
and Tom ended up with only a neck because the sheriff shot his head. She finishes with a major southern twang. Clean off. Well, that is very historical. I get birthplace of Madison next, and I tell a pretty good story about the birth of Dolly Madison snack cakes, if I do say so myself. Next, she takes on the third letterer expedition. So much more important than the second or fourth expeditions. By the time we get to Assassin's End, which I'm pretty sure is where John Wilkes Booth died in real life, and I weave a tale of the prodigious rear end or booty of a famous pirate Tess. Alice is laughing so hard she has a coughing fit. You're killing me. That is the worst pun ever, she croaks. We need gas, so let's stop and get you something to drink. I'm just finishing up a cigarette when Alice emerges from the store at the filling station, holding up two sodas. Knee-high grape and RC cola. What's your poison? Besides the cancer stick in your hands. Those are bad for you, you know. I know. Trying to quit. I open both bottles with my scout knife and hand her the grape. After a clink and a sip, we jump back on the road. Leaning her seat back, she asks, So what is happening with the plan? I tell her how Laura has found a couple of locals to help us out. Are you sure Kate's not going to freak out about this? No way. She was the mastermind of so many house pranks at Harvard. She'll be impressed. Which house were you in again? Lovell. We had athletes. Kate and I ran track, but also a lot of nerds. Math and science. We especially hated Edwards. It was all party girls and final club guys. I thought you were a party girl. Sitting back in her seat, she puts her feet up on the dash. These girls were professionals. I mean, I had to actually work to get through school. I swear those girls were drunk or high in class, if they ever showed up to class. Yeah, that was me in school. Until it wasn't. What do you mean? I catch her eye. Didn't Kate tell you? I don't think so. Focus back on the road. I sigh. I got kicked out my senior year for cheating. That must have sucked. It did. So what did you do? I tucked my tail between my legs and begged this little college outside of Waltham to take me. I lived at home, commuted there, worked my ass off and graduated, but not with a degree from Tufts. Kate never told me that. She's pretty good at keeping secrets. Well, now you know mine. Hey, you can't learn from mistakes if you hide them. I guess I never thought of it like that. After a beat, I glance over to find her staring out the window. So, what lessons has life served up for you? She huffs. Well... This Christmas, I learned that money can't buy happiness. Easy to say if you have it. We haven't always had it, believe me. She kicks off a boot before propping a leg back up on the dashboard to pull up her parachute pants, revealing a muscled calf. Ugh, this cuff is too tight to show you. 
But I have stretch marks on my knees and hips. Stretch marks? You know, like women get from pregnancy? She slides the pant leg back down. You also get them if you gain weight too fast. We didn't have the greatest living conditions the year my mom and my brother and I were waiting in Korea for our visas. My dad was already here, but the rest of us had to stay with relatives. I remember being hungry, like, all the time. When we got here, I ate constantly, and I guess I grew too fast. After checking the map and taking the next turn, I ask, you said you learned a lesson over Christmas. What happened? Flopping back into her seat, she groans. My parents happened. It's just never enough with them. They really embraced the South, huh? What do you mean? Like Scarlet O'Hara? I'll never be hungry again. Oh no, my mom would never make a dress for herself out of the curtains. It's the whole keeping up with the Joneses thing. That is very American. She turns to face me again. So this Christmas, my dad gave my mom a fur coat. Because it's so cold in Atlanta. Right. She loved it for exactly one day. Until they went out for dinner with their so-called friends and my mom came home in tears, yelling at my dad. Because? I guess her friend also got a fur from her husband, but it cost twice what my dad paid. Like they talked about how much it cost? Tacky, right? And also, never enough. She claps her hands. Unlike pranking people, because even though you know there's always another prank coming, it's always fun coming up with the next one. She wiggles in her seat. Kate is going to be so impressed. I hope you're right. She winces. I just hope Will has a sense of humor. I nod. As long as you're not making fun of Shakespeare. He does. She gasps. Oh my God. That just gave me an idea. I need to talk to these friends of Laura's. Alice. I thought you said this bridesmaid thing was going to be a lot of work. Steve's sitting next to me in the nail salon, but he leans in even closer to say this, sending a little shiver down my spine. He smells so good that I'm wondering if all the guys I've dated are missing out on some essential step in the bathing process. Well, it's Kate. I knew things would be different with her, but she's exceeded my expectations. The woman buffing Steve's nails tugs on his hand. You sure you don't want polish? She's got to be kidding. Guys get manicures, but they don't paint their nails. Steve tips his head at me. I'll have what she's having. His manicurist laughs. For real? I doubt it's that she got the When Harry Met Sally reference, because she looks like she wishes she hadn't opened her mouth. Shaking her head, she holds up the bottle of polish I brought in that's the exact shade of my dress. This ain't my first rodeo, y'all. When Steve hesitates, I sing song, It'll match your vest. He grins as he holds out his hands for the woman to paint, and my reaction is Pavlovian. I don't drool exactly, but I do just want to dive in and swim around in those baby blues of his. If only my parents would deal with me dating a white guy. 
Whoa, 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 Alice. Down, girl. You don't fall for guys. No matter how delicious, no matter how many movies he's devoured, no matter how perfect he seems, falling leads to things that will never work out. No guy on earth that isn't Korean will ever be accepted by my family. Not to mention, Steve is as commitment-phobic as I am. So I batten down the hatches on my vagina and steer us to safer waters. Is there anything else that's not on Kate's list that we need to finalize? I whisper. Steve leans close again, instantly undoing my efforts to keep things under control. All players are cast, he says out of the side of his mouth in a way that makes me laugh. Damn him. We just have to hope that the show works without a rehearsal, since the stars have to be kept in the dark. I can't wait. I beam an innocent smile at Kate, who looks like she's got my number. Meanwhile, my mouth just keeps talking without any direction from my brain. But maybe we should have one last meetup to go over it all before the rehearsal dinner? Just name the time and place and I'll be there. All I can think about now is the time and place I'd like to tell Steve to meet me. My hotel room as soon as possible. My manicurist taps the back of my hands. I need you to be still now, honey. Oops, guess I was squirming. Um, wanna go for a run with me after this? That'd be safe. No one looks good when they're running. He frowns. Like, jogging? I make a face, but this is good. Finally, something I can hate him for. No, Steve, like running. Ah, uh, I don't run. I play sports, like tennis and golf, with clients. Running is a sport. Kate and I competed all through high school and college. He nods. Yeah, track. I get that. But it's not a sport if you're just by yourself. I shake my head. It's not my fault that there isn't a race I can compete in every weekend, like there are tennis and golf tournaments. Those are really about networking anyway. Not everyone takes it seriously. I take running very seriously. I shrug. I guess I'll have to go by myself. Well, I wouldn't want you to suffer alone. Keeping my tone sweet, I say, Oh, Steve, you're the one who's going to suffer. You're going to wish you hadn't smoked all those cigarettes. If you kill me, I'll miss out on all the fun tonight. Dang it, you've got a point. I sigh dramatically. Will and his theater friends would be proud. All right, we can jog, I say, practically choking on the words. It won't be the same, but that's okay. My time with Steve is drawing to a close, and silly me, I'm finding I want to make the most of it. Steve. Somehow, I survived the afternoon, which includes not only getting my nails painted a bright blue, but a jog where it feels like I'm going to cough my lungs right out of my chest. Then, since everyone follows Kate's spreadsheet instructions, the wedding rehearsal runs without a hitch. After that, we endure a polite dinner with Kate's family and out-of-town guests at the hotel. Finally, the younger set decamps to a bar. When two cops show up at the door to the back room we've commandeered in the roadhouse Laura recommended, their timing is perfect. Kate has just started to relax. In fact, I'm pretty sure I heard her snort with laughter. I've been keeping an eye out, so I think I'm the first to notice Alice's whispers. Her gestures get more frantic, and the volume of her descent rises, so conversation is lulled by the time she says, I think there's been a mistake. 
Right on cue, even though he doesn't know it. Will asks, is there a problem, officers? The shorter, rounder of the two cops clears his throat. Sorry to interrupt, but we need to speak with a William Talbot. The groom's face pales. Kate rushes to his side. Is it, has someone been hurt? The tall, thin officer, both of these guys are friends of Kate's sister, shakes his head. Nah, it's nothing like that. I'm not sure if his southern accent is for real. The first guy had the elegant drawl that colors most of the locals' speech, but this guy is laying it on thick. It does give the scenario a bit of a creepy deliverance feel, though, so that's a plus. There has been a crime, however, his partner adds, his accent thickening by the word. And we just need to talk to Mr. Talbot down at the station. Kate grabs Will's hand. But we're getting married tomorrow. The short cop waves that down. Don't worry, miss. You'll have him back before that. If he's lucky, the tall one mutters. Oh, man, they've even thrown in a good cop, bad cop routine. Will crosses his arms over his chest. Do I need to speak to a lawyer? Narrowing his eyes, the short cop says, Why, have you done something wrong? No, but it sounds like you think I have, Will grits out. Kate takes his elbow as the two officers step closer to Will. The party guests instinctively fade back, creating a stage for the performance. Let's just take this down to the station, and I'm sure everything will get sorted out, short cop says with a cagey smile. Laura said they'd done some community theater, but these guys could be pros. I'm almost convinced. Kate practically stamps her foot. He's not going anywhere. Alice has found her way to my side. A suppressed laugh squeaks out of her. I put my arm around her and pretend to comfort her. If she laughs, I'll go too, and then this will all be over way too quickly. Tall cop raises a hand. Miss, please. Let's just do this nice and peaceful-like. Will's hands fly out from his sides. What the fuck? Am I under arrest? Short cop shakes his head. No need for profanity. Well, excuse me if I'm a little upset. Will doesn't yell, but his powerful voice practically punches his accusers. You've interrupted our party. I'm getting married tomorrow, and you just want me to go with you? I need to know what I'm accused of. Tall cop shakes his head slowly, just like a sheriff in a western. You really want to get into this in front of all these people? These people are our friends, Kate says, and we'd love to get this mistake cleared up as quickly as possible. Short cop gestures to the door. Last chance. Will shakes his head. The trust I have is in mine innocence, and therefore am I bold and resolute. Henry VI, Part Two. At this, Tall Cop whips Will around and snaps handcuffs on him. Will's and Kate's jaws drop in surprise. I can't even look at Alice, Deb, or Pam. Whatever Kate's sister paid these guys is nowhere near enough. 
you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you can't afford an attorney, one will be provided to you. Do you understand the rights I have just read to you? He pauses before adding, city boy. This nod to deliverance has me literally biting my lip, so I don't squeal like a pig. But Will just grits out, no. Kate's practically got steam coming out of her ears. Don't you have to tell him what he's arrested for? Oh, sorry. Uh, short cop saves his partner from breaking character. Isn't it obvious? Tall cop, grasping for control, lets out a long-suffering sigh. Will Talbot, you are under arrest for the crime of, he clears his throat, excessive quotation of Shakespeare. By the looks on their faces, both Will and Kate have totally been had. Kate's groan is loud as she shakes a fist at Alice and me. Will just mutters, Deb O'Rourke and Pam Salvatore, I'm going to kill you. But then the rest of the crowd gets in on it, Spartacus fashion, everyone throwing out Shakespeare quotes. At least, I assume that's what they're doing. I only recognize a few. To be or not to be? Oh, for a muse of fire. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? Et tu, Brute? Thankfully, both Will and Kate are still laughing when Tall Cop struggles to unlock the handcuffs, muttering, Sorry, I never worked with this prop before. By the time Alice and I make it to Kate, Will is free and telling the waitress to get the officers whatever they want to drink. Alice holds up a hand. I voted for stripper cops. Kate moans. Of course you did. I put my arm around Alice. I would never have let that happen. Hands on hips, Kate aims a ferocious glare at me, then Alice, before casting it around the room. So whose idea was it? Her mad face is convincing enough and she holds on to it long enough that I get worried. I plead the fifth. Even Alice's smile is faltered by the time Kate drops her hands and grins. You guys, that was beyond awesome. No one's ever going to forget this wedding. Relieved, I grab my beer and raise it to Alice. It was all her idea. Giving Alice a side hug, Kate says, Oh, I've passed the torch. Then, mad face back, she lifts a finger. But that's it for the weekend, right? My mother does not have the same sense of humor that I do. Alice shudders. Don't worry, your mother terrifies me. When Kate raises a brow in my direction, I'm quick to answer. Yep, me too. The next day, the wedding and reception go exactly to plan, until Kate's sister gets up to give a speech that quickly turns into a train wreck. Hands joined on the table between them, probably more in desperation than wedded bliss at the moment, both Will and Kate shake with barely held-in laughter. At least Alice and I can't be blamed for this. Somebody should have cut her off a long time ago, Alice mutters. Cut off the liquor or cut the microphone. 
Both, she says out of the side of her mouth. Is she even speaking English anymore? Alice leans in closer to whisper, Was she ever? That accent. It's hard to believe she and Kate grew up in the same place. She pulls away slightly. Steve, are you smelling me? Oops, busted. Sorry, I, uh. The DJ's booming voice on the microphone saves me. Thank you, Laura, the sister of the bride, everybody. Let's give her a hand. Kate's brother-in-law swoops up to capture his wife before she falls off the stage, and the safety dance busts out of the speakers. Guests rush the dance floor. Before I can ask Alice to join me out there, some cousin of Kate's swoops in and drags her away. Probably better if I find someone safer to boogie with anyway. Hours pass before I get to be close to her again. Hours counting down to the time when I won't have an excuse to hang out with her anymore. I don't know what's holding me back from just asking her out. I guess it's that since she's Kate's best friend, I always thought of her as off-limits, because I don't go out with girls who want more than a short-term, good-time thing. Why suffer through life with one person who'll just end up driving me crazy while missing out on all the other awesome women out there in the world? But this week, this whole month, with Alice, has me questioning that logic. Kate was my first friend who happened to be a girl. I thought Alice was in that category, too. But she's something else. Kate's cute and all. But that night with Alice was off the chain hot. Plus, I actually look forward to hanging out with her. I'd do anything with her, as I have this past month. Everything from getting a manicure to trying on clothes. The reason I never complained about doing all the girly stuff. I knew Alice would make it fun. Problem is, with the wedding of fate accompli, all those good times are coming to an end. So why don't you just ask her out? Why are you being such a chicken shit? Because, idiot, if she says no, then you've lost her for good. Worse, if she says yes, what do you even do then? You have no idea how to be in a... relationship. Alice. Steve, you have to save me, I whisper, tipping my head toward the guy at the other end of the bar. Just follow my lead, okay? When I grab his hand, he doesn't even hesitate. You got it. Kate's cousin Jared is bearing down on us, drinks in hand, so I turn up the volume. Oh my gosh, you're right. I completely forgot that we're in charge of moving the gifts. Taking Steve's other hand so neither of mine are available, I wince smile at grabby Jared. I'm so sorry, but Steve and I still have bridesmaids' duties to take care of. With a later man, Steve circles a possessive arm around my waist and steers me out of the country club ballroom. Plastering a smile on my face long enough to wave and throw a party on dude over my shoulder, I let Steve decide where we're going. I honestly don't know who's in charge of moving the gifts from the table in the lobby. It definitely wasn't in my column on Kate's spreadsheet. Moments later, we're outside, New Year's Eve in Virginia feels nothing like what it would in Boston. But when Steve throws his coat over my shoulders, I don't object. Thanks, you're the best co-bridesmaid ever. One of my many hidden talents.
he says with a shiver. Do you want your coat back? Nah, he pulls me in close. But you have to share the heat. We breathe in the crisp air for a few moments. The sound of the nearby river is soothing, and my eyes flutter closed. This is nice. I needed a breather. Steve grunts out a laugh. You know what? This is where I tried to kiss Kate. Oh my God, I forgot about that. I pull away. You homewrecker. I don't know. He gestures toward the ballroom window. I like to think that's what got them to this. Ah, oh, Steve, I didn't know you were a romantic. I use the opportunity to give him a real hug. He doesn't resist, but he doesn't reply. Just when I'm about to suggest we head back inside to check in with Kate, he says, I had fun this week. Yeah, this has been fun. For a wedding, but I'll be glad when it's over. I am sure never getting married. Never? Well, I hate to say never about anything, but not till I'm a lot older. When is the ideal age to settle down, do you think? I don't know, sometime after 35, 40 maybe? Really? What's wrong with that? Well, it's kind of late to have kids. Exactly, that's my plan. Like, oh, too bad, so sad, mom and dad. You could never match me up with a perfect Korean guy, and now I'm too old to pop out perfect Korean grandbabies. So I guess I'll just have to be an old maid. I whisper the next words as if my parents were in the next room instead of hundreds of miles away. And do what I want, which does not include kids. I'd be a terrible mother. I'm way too selfish. Wow. I thought all women wanted kids. Pretty sexist, dude. I mean, do you want kids? His grimace matches mine. Well, not really. I like being an uncle, but I'm very happy to return them. That's how I feel. Plus... I gesture to the atmosphere. There are too many people here on Earth anyway. Nope, not having kids. All right, then. Let's make a deal. I'll take whatever's behind curtain number two. Ignoring my quip, he clears his throat and continues. Assuming they're still together, let's you and I throw Kate and Will a 10-year anniversary party. If neither of us is married at that point, we get hitched. He shrugs, like this is a deal he makes at every wedding. The last day of 1999, we'll both be well into our 30s. Sure. I can't even imagine where life will take me between now and then. But if my parents haven't managed to pin me down by the year 2000, it wouldn't be settling to settle down with a fun guy like him. Plus, this feels kind of like a dare, which I can never resist. So I pull out the wedding program from my bag. Got a pen? Let's make it official. There's one in my pocket, along with my program. He points to his coat. I fished both out and turn him around so I can use his back as a desk. I, Alice Kim, do hereby swear that if I'm not married on December 31st, 1999, I will marry hot Steve Lowell. After I sign, he takes his program and the pen, and we switch places. His breath is warm on the nape of my neck as he recites, I, Steve Lowell, do hereby swear that if I'm not married on December 31st, 1999, I will marry Love'em and Leave'em Alice Kim. As he finishes, the muffled chanting of the wedding crowd counting down to midnight echoes across the water.
Steve's brow arches in question as they shout Happy New Year. What the hell? It's breaking all my rules, but it's just a New Year's kiss. I step in close, take his face in my hands, and pull his lips to mine. Steve. She started it, but I'm the one who can't stop. This woman's scent has been driving me wild all night, like she's emitting pheromones designed for me. The moment her lips touch mine, it's on. She tossed a match, and there's only one thing that'll douse the flames. I just hope she doesn't say no. I pull back from the crush of lips and teeth and tongues to skate my nose across the soft skin of her jaw and trail a finger down the side of the dress that hugs her waist and hips the way I want to. I get a shiver in response. It is cold out here, of course. Man, I'm overthinking this. Hoping for the best, I just whisper in her ear. Want to go to my room and get naked? If you didn't ask in the next 30 seconds, I was going to drag you to mine. She grabs my hand. Let's go. She can move in those heels. By the time we get to the exit, I'm breathless. Tick-tocking a finger in the space between us, she says, no more cigarettes tonight. I thought you gave that up. I did, I sigh, but work stress has been bad. End of year shit. I pull a roll of peppermint lifesavers from my pocket and peel the paper until two drop into my palm. She takes one, I pop the other in my mouth, and then I steer her to my rental car. Once we're inside, I get the heat going and then pull her in for another kiss. This time her shivers can't be about the chill in the air. Thanking the gods that the hotel is close to the wedding venue, I get us there in minutes. As I fumble with my room key, I wonder if I'm actually nervous. It's not like this is the first time I've picked up a girl at a wedding. In fact, I had sex with one of Kate's many cousins after the wedding where I was her fake date. On the down low, of course. I'm not a complete asshole. But this is the second time Alice and I have had sex, and I don't want to disappoint. She doesn't seem to share my hesitation. When I finally get the door open, she stalks into the room, tosses my jacket on a chair, and turns to meet my gaze. I point to the minibar. Do you want anything? Her smile lights up the room. How have I kept my hands off this woman the past month, the past year? So what if she's Kate's best friend? She shakes her head. Just you, naked, pronto. Yes, ma'am. It's the most torturous, delicious staring contest ever. She unzips her dress as I unbutton my shirt. We kick off our shoes in tandem. She steps out of her dress, I lose my shirt. My belt and trousers drop while she whips a satiny slip over her head. The half a second when I can't see her eyes is literally painful, but I'm rewarded with a vision in lace. One strip of black lace cups perfect, palm-sized breasts, and another outlines the gentle curves of her hips. When I find her eyes again, they're below my waist. I let her take a good, long look. 
At least I try. Feeling like I might explode, like I need to explode sooner rather than later. I close the distance between us, find her mouth, and then get this woman into my bed. Alice. When my eyes flutter open the next morning, it takes me a few moments to figure out where I am. The hotel, Kate's wedding. The blinds are pulled shut, but a sliver of bright light peeks through. As I yawn and stretch, the sheet pulls away from my naked body, and memories of the night before play through my mind. Fuck, I had sex with hot Steve, again. Damn it, it was even better than the last time. Wriggling in the sheets, I get hot all over again. I can still feel his fingers, his mouth, all his parts, making all my parts happier than they've been since, well, since the last time we did this. I'm ready to go again just thinking about it. But first, I have to pee. Heading to the bathroom, it takes me a sec to realize I'm not in my room. Duh, I'm still in Steve's room. So... Where the heck is Steve? I'm just finishing up washing my hands when there's a noise at the door, like someone's kicking it softly. I grab the hotel robe. As usual, it's way too big, so I shove the sleeves up to my elbows. When I crack the door open and find Steve, I do my best Jack Nicholson face. Here's Johnny. Jutting his stubble-covered chin at the tray of takeout cups in his hands, while struggling to keep a bag pinned to his side, he says, Glad you answered. I didn't want to have to put all this stuff down to open the door. He enters, and I follow the scent of coffee, waiting impatiently while he lays out cups on the little table in the corner. They didn't have cream and sugar to go, and I don't know how you take yours. So I've got four options. Black, cream, no sugar, cream with sugar, and lots of cream with lots of sugar. That last one, please, I say. You are a god. He grins. You said that a couple of times last night, too. I have no comeback to this, so I take a sip of coffee and eye the bag on the table. What you got there? Every kind of pastry they had at the buffet breakfast downstairs. Oh my God, you're a god and the perfect man. I'm joking, but I'm also worried. He might actually be the perfect man for me, which is a problem. I can't even decide which pastry to eat right now. The solution? cut them all up so I can have a bite of each one, which is kind of what I do with men, sample them. Thing is, I like him. He's a perfect partner in crime for a man. He's not my Katie Mae, but for a guy, he's pretty fucking awesome, not to mention pretty awesome at fucking. When he clears his throat, I realize I've probably been staring at him with a goofy smile on my face. I need to cut him off at the pass, though. If nothing's going to happen here, I'd rather be the one to say it first. So I wipe my mouth and lift a finger in the air. Now, just in case you're getting any ideas here, you may be the perfect bridesman and the perfect breakfast bringer, but we, I draw a line back and forth between us, won't work. Something crosses his face. Maybe disappointment? But it's gone too fast for me to tell. Alice, love him and leave him, Alice, and hot Steve. Pfft, we'd never work. He's good, I have to admit. I'm buying what he's selling, but I can top it. If we even tried to date, within a week I'd do something idiotic and you'd hate me. Yeah, 
I get super annoying after a couple of weeks. I'd get sick of you and maybe not hate you, but I wouldn't like you anymore. Can't do that to Kate. This was awesome, though. Yeah, best to end on a high note. Keep the sheen on the crown. Okay, so I'll see you around. Yep, later. It doesn't even matter who's saying what. I'm sure there are lines each of us has used dozens and dozens of times. I don't even get dressed. My room's just one floor down. So I give him a quick peck on the cheek, stuff a pastry in my mouth, grab my coffee and my clothes, and steal his robe as I steal back to my room. Hoping he hasn't just stolen my heart. Steve. When Kate gets back from her honeymoon, we get together for coffee. She and Will spent the week tucked away in a cabin in the Berkshires instead of lying on a beach somewhere drinking boat drinks like normal people, but it seems to have agreed with her. You look... It's not easy to find the right words. She's been happier since she left Rhodes Waller over a year ago. The place was always a bad fit for her, but now she's practically serene. Like the cat who ate the canary. Yeah. Married life is good, she laughs. I mean, we fight, like, a lot. I thought we were going to break up for good last year after we moved in together. I almost called Deb and Pam and begged them to take him back. So how did you get through it? My parents never fight, at least not so you'd know. There's so little feeling between them, I don't even know why they bother to stay together. She takes a sip of coffee as she considers this. Well, I used to think that fighting was bad. Like all my friend's parents who fought got divorced, but... She picks at a few crumbs on her plate, her brow furrowed. You remember when we got the puppy last year? Uh, yeah. Well, thank goodness I had some help from Ben's girlfriend, because Frankie and the puppy fought like... Well, like cats and dogs. Peas Blossom wouldn't leave the cat alone, and Frankie was pissed that we'd brought this thing into his house. But it was like they just had to work out their boundaries. Frankie claimed the furniture. Peas figured out that if she chased the cat, she'd get a bloody nose. She laughs. Sometimes now I think Frankie lets the dog chase him just for fun. So... You and Will chase each other around the apartment? That's how you make a relationship work? She waggles her eyebrows. That's a whole other way to make a relationship work. I think I've got that territory covered. Waving her hand in the air between us, she says, Okay, okay, no more details needed. It's like talking with a brother about sex. Ew. So what do you do? You really want to know? Yeah. I thought you weren't interested in, she makes air quotes, relationships. I shrug. I'm curious. Well, for us, or me at least, it's all about spheres of influence. Obvious ones, me, money, will, cooking. But some realms are more challenging, 
Like, I believe that if something is broken, it's most efficient to pay an expert to fix it. But Will always wants to try to fix it first, which often leads to the thing being even more broken than it was in the first place. She makes a face. Drives me insane. Men. Can't live with them, can't shoot them. She furrows her brow. Movie quote? I nod. St. Elmo's fire. You and Alice and your movie quotes are worse than Will and his Shakespeare. Before I can ask what Alice has been up to lately, she sets her chin on her hand. Anywho, one day I was over at Pam and Deb's, and one of them said something about how when Will's dad left, he and his brothers had to be the men of the house. Pam said that even though she's better at fixing things, she figured out early on to ask Will to fix things, just to make him feel better. So, that's what I do. She massages her temple with a groan. This fall, I let him try and fix the dishwasher, and we ended up having to do dishes by hand for weeks. Did you even have a honeymoon period? I don't know. I mean, maybe we're still in it, and we'll hit a wall at some point, but... Actually, being married does feel different. Like now we're not facing each other. She draws lines back and forth between us with both hands, and then turns away so the lines are perpendicular to both of us. Instead, we're both facing forward, and we're heading off together, side by side. She makes a face. That's weird, huh? Yeah, but good weird. She really is like the little sister I always wanted. Since my own family brings the typical wasp frostiness to the level of deep freeze, it's nice to hear about a marriage that seems worth the effort. We settle into gossip about Rhodes Waller people, and she tells me more about their trip. Finally, I ask the question I've been dying to ask since she walked in the door. Even though I agreed with Alice in the morning after Hayes, I've been thinking that maybe I could talk her into trying to have a, I don't know, not relationship. That sounds too grown up for the two of us, but something. I've never met a girl who's so fun to be with in and out of bed. Maybe we could figure out a way to make it work. So, how's Alice? Do you need us to do anything for the party? It's only a week away, right? Kate grabs my forearm. Oh my gosh, you didn't hear? Hear what? Kate winces. Her mom is sick, really sick, breast cancer. She flew down there right after the new year, right after the wedding, and hasn't come back. She even took a leave of absence from her job. She shudders out a deep sigh. Every time I talk to her, she sounds further away. I pat Kate's hand. I'm sure it'll be okay. Breast cancer is much more treatable these days. My aunt had it, and she's fine. I hope so. She pushes out her bottom lip. It's selfish, but I miss my best friend. I just nod, but I think I miss her too. Only a month later, I get a call from Kate. 
She's crying so hard I can barely understand what she's saying. Hey, hey, slow down, Kate. What's going on? She sucks in a deep breath. Alice is getting married. What? Glad I'm already sitting down. I spin my office chair to face the windows in case someone walks by. To who? Her mom's oncologist. It takes me a few moments to take this in. When I manage to form words, my tone is bitter. I hope he at least cured her cancer. Well, she's still in treatment, but I guess it's going well. He's a family friend, too. He's Korean. She sniffs. My evil plan didn't work. Which evil plan was this? Despite the haze clouding my brain, my mouth keeps up somehow. To fix up my two best friends. You're two. You and Alice, dummy. You mean that whole bridesman thing was a giant matchmaking attempt? Kind of? Huh. Wow. I mean, you are my best guy friend, and I did want you up there with me, but I also hoped you and Alice would get together, and we'd have double dates all the time and everything. She's sobbing again. Worse, I really don't like the images popping into my head of Alice. Zest for life, carefree Alice, being shackled to a cancer doctor. It's just wrong. Wasn't she saying at the wedding that she didn't want to get married for years? If ever? Secretly, like way deep inside my head, wasn't I starting to picture the exact same thing Kate was? Double dates and all? I can't think about that now, though. Alice is taken. Kate's a mess. So I do what I'm good at. I become the only kind of friend I know how to be. The only kind you can be when you're always the new kid. I push the mess of feelings I'm having to the side and do my best to make Kate feel better. A couple months later, I greet Kate at my apartment door. I can't believe you're leaving me too, she mutters as she crosses the threshold. Continuing into the living room, she trails a hand along the back of my black leather couch and surveys the packing materials gathered on the glass-topped coffee table. I also can't believe I've never been here before. Well, it is a bachelor pad. The only things that happen here are things a guy doesn't do with a friend, a girl who's a friend. Yep, she takes off her coat. Got it. As I hang it up, I thank her for coming over to help me pack. This all happened so quick, I'm kind of behind. I love packing boxes, especially when it's not my stuff. Do you want anything to drink while we work, since I'm taking up your Friday evening? I'd just be sitting at home watching bad TV or working. Will has a show, and I've seen it already. You don't go to every single one? She laughs. I'm his wife, not his groupie. I thought only Ben had those. One of Will's actor friends became a famous model before he moved back to Boston, so he has quite the avid fan base. Ever since that movie he was in with Diane Keaton came out, people recognize him more, but 
but it's not the same as having your body plastered on every bus stop. She claps her hands. Anyway, I'll have a beer so I can cry into it. She pouts. I guess I'll have to find some new friends. I keep my tone casual as I uncap a Sam Adams for her. Any word from Alice? Just a note apologizing for not inviting me to the wedding. It's family only, since her mom is still doing chemo. Did you help her pack up her place too? She shakes her head. Some company did it. I just wish I knew more. I feel like she's been kidnapped or something. Families can be complicated. She clinks bottles with me. I'll drink to that. She spins on the bar stool to take in the living room. Do you trust me with the albums or should I tackle the books? Catching my eye, she holds up a hand. I don't even know why I asked. I'll do the books. Kate approaches packing boxes the way she does everything, with an efficiency and level of organization that any army general would be proud of. In just an hour, she's got all my books and all my CDs packed, all the while giving me shit for having so many duplicates. The woman doesn't get the difference between the formats. You listen to albums at home, CDs in the car, duh. When she moves on to my videotapes, she asks why I buy them when I could rent them at Blockbuster. Because I watched them multiple times. She shakes her head as she tucks one after the other into a box. Alice was the same way. Jeez, she's just in Atlanta. She's not dead. You're right. I should be happy for her, I guess. I'm packing clothes when she appears in my bedroom doorway half an hour later, a piece of paper in her hand. Look what I found. Elbow deep in a box of coats, wondering if I'll ever need them in California, I ask, what? My wedding program. Her tone makes it clear that she's read what Alice wrote. <laughs> Busted. I guess this contract is null and void if she's married, though. She slaps the program on my chest of drawers. Damn it, Steve. You should have swooped in and snagged her quicker. Sorry, squirt. But she was pretty adamant about not wanting any kind of a relationship with me. She looks at me like she wants to argue further, but instead asks, What's my next task, sir? We head into the kitchen, where she opens the cabinets. Do you want to leave out a few things so you can eat on them? Nah, I'll just do takeout. Movers are coming in a couple days. Hey. She holds up a Rhodes Waller coffee mug. How did you get one of these? Did they give it to you? Like, as a parting gift? She nods, hugging the mug to her chest. Nope. I stole it. Why didn't I think of that? She makes a pouty face. I always loved these mugs. They're so solid and such a pretty brown color. She traces the gold lettering. And they keep the coffee hot for so long. I laugh. You can have it. My parting gift to you. Really? Really. You won't miss it? I open the dishwasher and pull out the top rack. I have three more. She grabs one. Oh, I'm taking two then. 
Remember when you hated me? I ask. I never hated you. She laughs. I just discriminated against you, lumped you together with all the assholes skating by on their good looks and family connections. I wince. That is me, though. But there's more to Steve Lowell than that. I hope so. I sigh. I think I'm ready to find out, anyway. Setting the mugs on the counter next to her purse, she asks, Have you wanted to leave that place for a long time? Yeah, I've felt a bit stifled there. I toss my empty beer bottle. But I guess I hadn't really clocked it until John called to tell me the venture capital firm he works for was hiring. And then you were like, go west, young man? Pretty much. That's where the action is happening now, even more so than in New York. An hour later, she's yawning, so I call her a cab to send her home. When she protests, I say, it's the least I can do. I never would have gotten so much done by myself. I walk her down to the lobby to wait for the cab. No crying, Missy. If you start, you'll get me going. She sniffs. Too late. I sigh. I will miss you, Katie. I'll miss you too, hot Steve. Part three, December, 1994. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Johnny Castle, dirty dancing. Alice. At 6 p.m., as we watch the ball drop on the television screen, Kate lifts her glass to shout, Happy New Year! Half the room groans. The other half of the room yells along with her. I'm just framing a shot when the front door opens and Steve Lowell steps in. Will greets him and explains that they're celebrating early because of the kids. Steve laughs. I lower my camera since I can't seem to focus on anyone or anything else. He looks good, fit, happy. Good for him. I can't believe I haven't seen the guy for five years. After I moved to Atlanta and he moved out to San Francisco, our paths obviously didn't easily cross. Not sure I'm up for comparing lives. I duck down the back hall. Kate catches me by the back stairs. Minnie Will perched on her hip. Are you having fun? I'm so glad you came. I'm glad too. Glad she talked me into coming up for this party. And glad my husband wouldn't take time off to join me. Yeah, I said it. I'm glad he's not here. I clink my glass with hers. Even if this is the lamest New Year's Eve party ever, it's really good to see you. Neither Kate nor I are drinking champagne. She's nursing little Billy, so she's drinking seltzer water. I went for my old standby, a G&T. Heavy on the G tonight. With two kids under the age of two, I can't stay up past nine o'clock. She leans in to whisper, hopefully most of these people will head off to other parties soon, and then you and I can hang out and catch up. Unless you have other plans? Nope, I'm all yours. Yay, she bounces the baby. Okay, I'm going to say hi and bye to a couple more people and then put this guy to bed. Yawning, she adds, maybe I can stay up long enough to watch the real ball drop. I kiss Billy's fat cheek and whisper, good night, cutie. He pats my face and gurgles before Kate whisks him away. 
turning away so I can wipe my stupid tears in private. I run smack into a broad chest. Whoops. Steve grasps my upper arms to steady me. Didn't mean to sneak up on you like that. He studies my face. You okay? I wipe my eyes with my cocktail napkin and nod my head in Kate's direction. Oh, you know, baby allergy. He nods, one brow cocked. Uh-huh. I study my empty glass. Time for another round. I move toward the kitchen, and he follows me. Since it seems like he's not going anywhere, I mix a cocktail for each of us. When we settle in a cozy nook surrounded by kid crap, he's still giving me a concerned look, so I paste a housewifely smile on my face and launch into the realm of polite queries. So, you moved to San Fran. Uh, when? In 91? Actually, it was the end of 90. Right after I moved to Atlanta? He gives me that old salesman smile. Yeah, once you were gone, Boston lost its shine. I give him a smirk. Uh-huh. And you dated every female in the greater Boston area already, so you needed some fresh territory. You know me so well. For real, what took you out there? I sit back, surprised to find that I'm truly interested in his story. I had an opportunity, he shrugs. A friend was at a VC firm that was hiring. VC? Venture capital, you know, pouring loads of money into startups. It's big out there with the tech industry booming. I thought Boston was the tech capital. You know, all those companies out on Route 128? Silicon Valley is the place to be now. I think it's a hardware-software difference. Boston is all about the hardware, and Cali is about the software. And things move so fast. I was lucky and got in at just the right time. People think of the West Coast as being laid back, but things move at warp speed. And not just in the movies. People constantly moving from one firm to another, money moving fast. And the work is 24-7. Sounds not boring? Yeah, I knew the finance scene in Boston was pretty stodgy, but I had no idea how cool it'd be out West. He nods, obviously fired up and into what he's doing. And what about you? I saw you taking pictures when I came in. Are you a photographer now? I always thought you'd end up doing something creative. I swirl the ice cubes melting in my drink. Oh no, I'm just a housewife. Seriously? Stupidly, I meet his gaze, which is full of disbelief. And probably pity. Yep, I spend my days with other ladies talking about makeup and tennis and which makeup won't run when you play tennis. And I spend my nights trying to create the progeny. I take a slug of my drink. I don't recommend it. Sex for procreation, that is. The tennis isn't so bad. He looks like he doesn't know what to say. I don't blame him. I take another healthy swig. But enough about me. I hear you're engaged. Who's the lucky girl who managed to pin down hot Steve? Um, yeah. Her name is Susan. He nods. She's a lawyer with a firm that we do a lot of work with, so we kind of run in the same circles. She's from the area, and we spend a lot of time with her family. Her uncle owns a vineyard up in Napa. Have you ever been? Yeah, actually. Tim had a week-long medical conference there in the spring. The wives did a lot of wine tasting. Great food, too. This conversation is so ridiculously banal, it's surreal. If you'd told me five years ago that I'd be having it, I'd have told you to buzz off or assumed you were high. But we just keep slogging through it. Oh, yeah. Steve's nodding like a bobblehead doll. The food is amazing. 
I'm really hoping we can get into the French laundry. You should totally go there. I had to run an extra five miles the next day to burn the calories from that meal. Hey, I'm running now too. Really? Yeah, Susan maybe. And I quit smoking. I'll drink to that. Good for you. Wish my husband would do the same. Seriously? I thought he was a doctor. He's a surgeon. They think they're superior to the rest of us. I shake my head. He denies that he smokes, but I can smell it on him. I tap Steve on the arm. I'm proud of you, though. How often are you running? Pretty much every day. Such a great stress reliever, you know? I nod slowly. I do know. Only thing that keeps me sane. Kate and I had a great run today on the Charles, just like old times. He leans forward. We should run together this week. That would be fun, but I'm leaving tomorrow. Have to get back to my busy schedule. Uh. The expression on his face is unreadable. He's probably trying to imagine why he ever hooked up with a bitter old woman like me. Best to cut him off at the pass. So I stand. Kate's trying to wind this party down. Are you meeting Susan for a real New Year's Eve thing or what? Rising, he shoves his hands in his pockets. She's at home. Her family does a big party every year, but I didn't want to miss this. I mean, we stood up with these guys. Gotta make sure they're doing okay. He shakes his head. I can't believe Kate has two kids and is the CEO of her own nonprofit. She's pretty awesome. Yes, she is. I set my empty glass in the sink and push the swinging door that leads into the dining area. Speaking of Kate, I should go see if she needs any help. Okay. I'm gonna head out, I guess. I told some old work friends I'd meet them at another party. He opens his arms wide. When I give him a what-are-you-doing look, he laughs. I'm a hugger now. Susan's family is all about the hug. Come on, bring it in. Shaking my head, I step into his chest. As his arms surround me, I realize we've never done this before. I would have remembered a hug like this. I must be getting old if a hug feels better than sex. Later that night, Kate taps on the door of her guest room. Alice, are you okay? The concern in Kate's voice has the damn tears leaking again. Yeah, I just need a minute. Alice, it's me. Can I come in, please? Grabbing a tissue, I swipe it across my face. I really don't know if I can deal with anybody right now. Even Kate. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's your house. The door cracks open and she peeks in. Oh, honey. I can't stand the pity on her face. Shaking my head, I try to rally. What are you doing up? Isn't this way past your bedtime? Oh, yeah. But Imogen had a nightmare, and then I nursed the baby. And then I saw your light was on. She closes the door behind her and sits next to me on the bed. I'm sorry I fell asleep before we could really hang out. It's okay. I don't know how you do it all. As Will used to say, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Anyway, they're worth it. The bliss-fueled smile on her face. The fact that she's so obviously happy has me tearing up again. Sweetie, what's going on? I'm such a bad friend. How can I resent her good fortune? It's not her fault that my life is a wreck. It's my own damn fault. I don't want to ruin this visit and your anniversary with my stupid drama. You idiot. She scoots close and puts an arm around my shoulder. You're my best friend. Your drama is my drama. I relax into her side. I must be hug-deprived. 
My life is a complete and total mess. I make a show of looking at my watch. This could take all night. Like I said, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Didn't Warren Zevon write a song called I'll Sleep When I'm Dead? You're asking me. She gives me mom eyes. Spill. Okay, okay. Make yourself comfortable. I shift back to sit against the headboard. She lies down across the end of the bed. And I tell my sad, stupid story. How Tim and my mom berated me about having kids until I went off the pill. How I've been pregnant five times, and how each one has ended in a miscarriage. And the thing is, I push the words past the stupid tears clogging my throat. I've never even wanted to have children. My body is probably rejecting them because it knows I'll be a crappy mother. That is not true. Kate grabs my ankle and shakes it until I meet her gaze. You'll be an amazing mom if it works out. But obviously, if you really don't want kids, you shouldn't be, like, forced to have them. It's the 20th century, for God's sake. Then she smacks me. Why didn't you tell me any of this? Ow, I don't know, I sigh. It all just snowballed. Miscarriages, it's all so weird. I mean, none of them were particularly late, so it's not like I felt the baby moving or anything. But it's weird. I feel this loss, but I also feel relieved. I grab a tissue and blow my nose. Like, maybe they're my ticket out. Because even while my mom can't stop talking about how great it is that we live in the best suburb of Atlanta, how my house is so beautiful and my husband is so accomplished, what I get to tell her when I get home is, he wants a divorce. Seriously? Since I can't get pregnant, he doesn't want to be married to me. The asshole didn't even have the balls to tell me to my face. He had his fucking secretary type it up in a letter that he left on my dresser. I stutter out a laugh. The thing is, I'm pretty sure he's having an affair with one of his nurses. That's all so tawdry. For some reason, this makes me giggle. My parents are going to kill me. Kate shifts to face me. Listen, your parents will get over it. You can't live your life for them. She nudges my thigh. And in the future, please trust me. You've been there for me through every tough thing in my life. Let me be there for you. It's really human of you to listen to all my bullshit. I'm such a dumbass. I'm making myself cry. Not only do I not deserve a friend like her, quoting 16 Candles reminds me of Steve. I still feel shitty for giving him the brush off earlier. I love you, Al Pal. You're my best friend. Pushing thoughts of the man who got away to the side, I focus on the girl who's here with me now. I know, KK. I love you too. Kate's kids make sure that we don't sleep in on the first day of 1995, but that's okay. We make pancakes and drink coffee and gossip. She snaps at Will when he lets the dog lick baby food off of Imogen's high chair, but laughs when the dog licks the little girl's face. They're not perfect, but they're good together. That is obvious. What's also obvious? My marriage sucks, and always has. Marrying someone to get your parents to stop bugging you is a really stupid thing to do. So now I've got to suck it up, go back to Atlanta, and figure out how to get through getting out of it. I can't go back to the work I did in my 20s. I have no idea what I want to do next. But I think I need to find out. Later that afternoon, I'm sitting in a chair in the guest room slash nursery of Kate's house, 
staring out the window and avoiding packing, when Kate sidles up next to me. I feel like there's more going on than what you told me. What, five miscarriages in an affair isn't bad enough for you? You always have been a high achiever. Ha ha. Sorry. She moves my suitcase to the side and sits on the bed. I guess, I mean, why did you marry him in the first place? I told you I, no, that's not my question. She blows out a breath. Why did you disappear? Something in her voice gets my attention. Katie, it wasn't you. It was me, we say in unison, which cracks us both up. I squeeze in next to her on the bed and take her hand. I've missed you. I've missed you more. A phone call every once in a blue moon is not enough for me. I gesture around the room. You've got all this. What, my palace? She says with a terrible British accent. Your prince and your heir in a spare. I do have them. And I love them all more than I could have ever imagined. She squeezes my hand. But I can still miss my best friend and wonder why she cut me out of her life. A sigh deeper than I thought I had in me huffs out of my lungs. I'm sorry, Katie May. I didn't do it on purpose, exactly. I guess I knew somewhere inside that if I talked to you, you'd talk sense into me. I never should have married Tim. I just felt so guilty for being gone for so long, and all I could think was that I wanted my mom to be happy before she died. But she lived. Yes, which is good, of course, but now I'm in a marriage I signed up for for all the wrong reasons. I guess the only good thing is that Tim's leaving me though she'll probably still find a way to make it my fault. Wow. Yeah, it's a laugh a minute with my family. I shake my head. You want to know the funniest part about all this? I'd love to hear anything funny in this story. It really is all down to Steve. Hot Steve? What does he have to do with this? Well, you know, we had a thing. You said it wasn't a thing. Okay, we had sex after we announced our engagement. I wince. And after the wedding. What? You minx. You never told me. You were a little busy. I guess, she frowns. So how is that responsible for you getting married? I shake my head. He kind of broke me. When I don't go on, she shifts away to lean against the headboard. Splain. I lie down and talk to the ceiling. When I had sex with guys before Steve, most of the time it was good in an athletic kind of way. Like, it felt good. It was easy. It was good for tension relief. It was fun. It was an adventure. Every guy was different, and that was a good thing. Okay. Well, Steve was more complicated, especially the second time after your wedding. By that point, I really liked him, liked hanging out with him. We were buds. I shake my head. But even the first time, it was different. It was like he got me in this cosmic woo-woo way. Like he knew me inside and out. And the second time, it was intimate, I guess. It kind of freaked me out. Actually, it freaked me out a lot. So you ran. Well, my mom got sick, but yeah, I ran. You dummy. She nudges me with her foot. And now Steve's engaged. I heard, I sigh. We never would have worked out anyway. You never know. And now I never will. I'm sorry. It's not your fault. I heave out a breath. 
empty of emotion for the time being. Anyway, thanks for listening. I noticed that there's no baby in her arms. When I left the kitchen to come up here, both kids were crying and Will was grouchy. Where is everybody? Asleep, she whispers. Billy passed out before he even finished nursing, so I left him in the bassinet. Last I saw Will and Imogen, they were snoring in tandem on her bed. I catch her looking around the room, the place Billy should be sleeping. Every surface is covered with my crap. Sorry, it must be a pain to have to do all the baby stuff in your bedroom. She waves that down and flops on the bed. Nah, I was just thinking that this reminds me of our dorm room. I take a deep breath, blow it out, and then just spit it out. I don't want to go back to Atlanta. She shrugs. So don't. Stay a while. I'm not sure I can be a fifth wheel in their happy caravan for too long, but I don't relish returning to my cold, empty McMansion where my first task will be to find a divorce lawyer. Kate sits up. Please? Will starts rehearsals tomorrow and won't be gone all day. I have the week off. She leans in closer and sings songs. You know you want to. Are you sure I won't be in the way? She waves that down. Not at all. Billy hasn't moved in here yet because it's easier to have him next to our bed. Will's mom was here for Christmas. Believe me, you've been a much easier guest than she was. I slump back into the chair. Maybe I shouldn't go back until I have a plan. Okay, let me call the airline. Maybe I can change my flight. Kate jumps to her feet, bouncing up and down. Can we go for a run when you're done, before everybody wakes up? A real smile takes over my face. You're on. The next day, Kate and I take the kids over to Deb and Pam's. They have a new baby, too. It's like the universe is testing me on this baby thing. So we sit around their living room and drink coffee while the little ones roll around on the floor and the bigger kids play nearby. My grief is simmering below the surface, but Deb and Pam's playful nagging at each other is so entertaining that I find I'm laughing hysterically instead of crying again. Plus, I brought my camera. The only thing that keeps me sane these days is looking at the world through its lens. In the photography class I reluctantly agreed to take with some other hospital wives, the instructor had us focused on objects and architecture. So when I point my camera at the kids, instead of trying to capture smiles like a normal person, I'm obsessed with how the winter sunshine plays across the baby's squirmy bodies, or snagging the toddler's mid-step as they race through the house. Deb breaks my focus with a question. Do you have any good Korean recipes, Alice? There's a Korean barbecue place in Kendall Square that is so good. I'd love to be able to make that. Kate and I share a grimace. Let's just say I'm as good at making Korean food as Kate is at making Southern food. Pam laughs. You're a terrible cook, too. Hey, Kate pretends to be offended. Pam grimaces. Sorry, but my stomach still hurts from that macaroni and cheese you made that one time. Kate shrugs. It takes talent to cook as badly as I do. Part of me wishes I could cook, I say. My mom and my husband's mom are very disappointed in me. I throw up my hands. But they don't have recipes. They learned by cooking with their mothers when they were kids. I point to my chest. When I was a kid, my mom was at the wig store with my dad when we got home from school. I'd help my little brother with his homework, and then when my parents got home, I'd do my own homework. They pushed us to be like the white kids we went to school with, and now they're mad that we don't have any connection to our Korean culture. My voice has risen over the course of this little speech. Sorry, I guess I'm a little frustrated. 
Pam pats my knee. That's okay. Deb's a pretty terrible cook, too, but that is her culture. I mean, I guess when potatoes are all the Irish had to work with. I'm going to ignore that because I need to back up, Deb says. Your mom worked at a wig store? My parents owned wig stores, lots of them. I shudder. One of my uncles had a wig manufacturing thing in Korea, and somehow that turned into opening wig stores in America. They were so successful, he got my dad to come and help him open a whole chain of them. Yeah, that must be an immigrant thing, Pam says. My great-grandfather came from Italy and started a knife shopping business in Brooklyn. He had a truck and would drive around to restaurants on this regular route. Most of his brothers followed him, and they became like the knife shopping barons of Brooklyn. My grandpa did it, too. I love that truck. He used to let me help him pocket in the garage when I was little. The weird thing is, I say, my parents were ashamed of the stores, that they were shopkeepers. I didn't even know where they worked for the longest time. My mom told me just a couple months ago that she would have preferred that we come to the shop after school instead of being home by ourselves. But my dad didn't want us to. He didn't want us to think that working at a store was good enough. Flora, who's Deb and Pam's youngest, makes a little mewing sound. Deb picks her up to bounce her a bit. I was a latchkey kid, too. I can't imagine doing that without kids, but we were fine. Kate picks up Billy and lifts her shirt to nurse him, not at all self-conscious about us seeing her boob. Isn't it funny how kids don't think about what their parents do all day at work? I'm still not sure exactly what my dad does. He doesn't talk about it much. My sister and I always thought he was a spy. That would actually be pretty cool, Pam says. So when did you find out about the wig store? Kate asks. I'm not sure. I was so busy trying to figure out how to fit in at school when I didn't look like anybody else that, like Kate said, I really didn't pay any attention. I know they created a franchise at some point and then got into real estate. I remember my dad taking me to an office and then stopping by a wig store when I was a freshman in high school. I asked if I could work there so I could have some spending money, but I wasn't allowed. My job was to get straight A's and get into the best college and then be a doctor. Well, you got two out of three, Kate says. Now they don't care about any of that. Now they just want me to pop out babies. I can't keep the edge from my voice. And now I'm crying again, damn it. Deb hands me a box of tissues. Sorry, I had a miscarriage recently. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. Deb gives Pam's arm a squeeze. I had a couple of those. It sucks, Pam says. I cough out a laugh. Yeah, it pretty much sucks to have a unicorn at uterus. Your uterus is a unicorn? Kate giggles and then slaps her hand over her mouth. Sorry. It's okay. I did the same thing when they told me. I circle a hand over my belly. It's some kind of malformation. We could keep trying, but I shrug. Maybe it's a sign. Pam rubs her own belly. Uteruses are mysterious things. Like, when you do manage to grow a baby in there, you don't do anything. It just happens. Same for when it doesn't happen. Nothing you can do. I heave out a big sigh. Yep, nothing you can do. We all sit in silence for a few minutes, but it's not an uncomfortable one. Then Imogen comes running, in tears about something Lindy said, which sets off the babies, and then everyone is crying. Except me. Maybe I'm finally on the road to finding peace with the state of my uterus. My unicorn uterus. Maybe I should be thankful that it's my ticket out from a loveless marriage and from my parents' expectations. 
Maybe it could set me free. A few days later, I scrape the snow off my boots in Kate's mudroom and hang up my coat before going in search of the lady of the house. It's quiet, so I tiptoe in case someone's napping. A lot of napping happens here. Kate's a big believer in it, though she never seems to be the one doing it. When I find her, though, she's stretched out in bed with her eyes closed. Billy's quiet in the bassinet next to her. Emmy's asleep, too. So I go back downstairs to set out the presents I've made for my hosts. I spent part of yesterday developing photos. This morning, I picked them up from the framer. I think I did a pretty good job of capturing Emmy's mischievous grin and the baby's simple beauty, if I do say so myself. Oh my God, these are amazing. Kate snuck up to my side. She picks up the photo of both kids on the couch, and the expression on her face is exactly what I was hoping for. I'd propped Billy up next to Emmy while she pretended to read him a book. We took them to a studio to try and get pictures before Christmas, but they both just cried the whole time. These, they're like art. She sets the photo down and shifts Billy onto her shoulder, patting his back and bouncing. How did you get them developed so fast? I did it. You did it? How? I took a class at an art center last year. I shrug. Yesterday in the Yellow Pages, I found a dark room in Cambridge that rents space. I pull the unframed shots out of an envelope and fan them out on the table. It's calming, watching the images come alive. Even magical. Like I've preserved a little moment of time. Well, obviously the subjects here are extraordinarily beautiful. She grins as she bumps my shoulder. But I'd say you have a gift. You should be doing this, like, professionally. I stifle a groan. Yeah, I don't think I could spend my days taking pictures of other people's kids. She winces. Shit, I'm sorry. Before I can come up with other reasons why I can't do this as actual work, she asks, but what about, I don't know, as a journalist? I sigh. Well, I do have an idea, but I'm not sure it's worth anything. Come sit with me. I need to nurse Billy on the other side. I follow her to the den, but I can't sit down. I'm too nervous. Kate knows me better than anyone in the world and will always be supportive, but she won't bullshit me either. If this is a dumb idea, she'll tell me. Steve. On my flight back to California, I can't stop thinking about Alice, to the point that I feel guilty, like I'm cheating on Susan or something. But it's not like that, exactly. It's just... It was like the Alice I planned Kate's wedding with has been papered over by this woman from a different decade, some 1950s housewife. It's sad. But if I'm being honest, have I really done much better? I went out west to do something new, but I'm still floating along, bouncing from a job that a friend got me to one that Susan's cousin got me. I'm making tons of money, not enough to really save since it's stupid expensive to even breathe in Silicon Valley. But I feel like I'm still skating on the surface of life, just like I did in my 20s, when it was all about the next deal, the next girl. Susan's great, but sometimes I wonder if I love being a part of her family more than I love her. I'm honestly not quite sure how we got from casually dating to being serious, I don't even remember asking her to marry me. I was pulled into her orbit, and then suddenly a wedding's being planned. 
I'm just along for the ride. Kind of how I do everything. Something else has been niggling at me. Something that has nothing to do with Susan, or Alice, for that matter. I have an idea for a startup of my own, but I've never done anything like it before. My gut's telling me that it's time to get out of the venture capital game and out of Silicon Valley. This bull market can't last forever. Going in a completely new direction scares me, but in a good way. Which brings me back to Alice. Hugging her felt like... Well, like I was truly awake for a minute there. I swear I could actually feel every single one of my nerve endings firing at once. But she's married, and I'm about to be. Guess I'll have to figure out a way to fire up my life without her. Part 4. December, 1999. You had me at hello. Dorothy. Jerry Maguire. Steve. I'm unpacking boxes in the new Boston apartment when my phone rings. After lifting it from the dock to check the screen. Man, I love the new features in my Palm V. So worth the splurge for the new model. I don't recognize the number, but something makes me pick up anyway. Hello? No one answers. I'm about to hang up when I hear, shit. The voice sounds familiar, so I ask again. Hello? Almost like, Steve? Almost like, Alice? Yeah, sorry, I'm driving, and I dropped the phone. They say that's not safe. You should get one of those Bluetooth earpieces. Ugh, just something to lose. This damn cell phone is so tiny I can barely keep track of it. She clears her throat. Anyway, hello. Long time no see, or hear. I put my own headphones on so I can get to setting up my stereo. Can't really unpack without tunage to work to. Yeah, sorry. I hope it's okay to call you out of the blue like this. Of course. It's good to hear your voice. Did Kate give you my number? I didn't want her to know I was calling you, so I got Will to take a peek in her day planner. Okay. What's the big secret? Did Kate invite you to this fundraiser she's having? I glance over to the kitchenette where the glossy invitation leans against a bottle of wine on the counter. The thing on the 31st? Yes, on her damn 10th anniversary. What is she thinking? She's just being Kate. She probably figures she can talk people into giving more in the final hours of the year. You know, the last minute tax deduction. Stop with the finance talk. You're as bad as she is. Guilty as charged. All I can hear is traffic noise for a few moments, and I'm not sure if it's outside my window or hers. This place is near the top floor, but the building's pretty close to the mass pike. You there? Yeah, sorry, thought I missed my exit. Hang on. More traffic noise and more swearing. Sorry, I'm back. Anyway, I have an idea. A prank? Mmm, kind of. 
but a nice one, I think. Okay, but I need a co-conspirator. I'm in. She laughs. Just like that? You don't need to know what you have to do? Alice, you had me at hello. My Jerry Maguire quote is rewarded with a laugh. Well, okay then. Here's my idea. Alice. I get to my gate in the Charlotte airport with several minutes to spare, so I indulge in my latest bad habit, calling Steve. Hey, I have a new idea. Hello to you, too. Sorry, hello, how are you? Good? Good, I have an idea. He laughs, which sends a wrong-headed fizz right through me. Not going to fall for a married man. Did that once. Never again. What's the new idea? Did you get the email I sent? He asks. Yes, that was excellent intel. I've already got some photos that I... So, do you live anywhere? He laughs again. Uh, yes. I shake my head in a desperate attempt to shake out the giddy feeling I get every time I talk to this man. Playing with fire, Alice. But it's worth it. For Kate. Weird question, I know, but I don't. Live anywhere, really. I gave up my apartment when I got the second book deal because I'm on the road all the time. I use my parents or my publisher as mail drops, but it'd be good if I could send these pictures to someone, like someone who can help me secretly get the carousel full of slides where it needs to be in a couple of weeks. When he doesn't immediately reply, I start to wonder if I'll have to actually ask my parents for the favor, which I hate to do because things are still awkward with them. They're proud of my first book, a photo essay collection profiling a wide range of Korean-American immigrants. But they still don't understand why I can't fix things with Tim, or marry some other guy, or why I've moved on to immigrants from other countries. Thankfully, Steve finally answers. One question. Are you calling because you need just anyone, or because you need me? Don't go all Lloyd Dobler on me. You think I'd tell anybody else about this plan? Well, except for Will, but we can't tell him too much. He's a terrible liar. Weird, isn't it? You'd think as an actor he'd be good at that. You'd think, but he's almost spilled the beans already. I had to think fast when Kate called asking why Will needed my email address. The dumbass. What did you tell her? Oh, something about a casting director I met when I was in Los Angeles doing interviews. Thankfully, Kate bought the story. I just hope Will backs me up. Anyway, can I send you the goods? Already emailed you my address. Hey, I wanted to tell you. I read your book. Oh, you're the one. Goodwill hunting jokes aside, and we do need to talk about that movie someday. Over a bunch of caramels? The second reference to the movie is rewarded with a laugh that melts all my reserves. Exactly. Anyway, I thought the book was so... long? I was going to say eye-opening. I had no idea how hard it is to get into the U.S. You did an amazing job of getting your subjects to open up plus the photos. It was like you peeled away layers of, I don't know. It was like their hope and determination was right there on the page. Wow, thank you. It's been quite the, the squawky voice of the airport intercom pulls my gaze to the gate. Oh shit, my plane's about to leave. Thanks man, smell you later. And then I hang up before I can get myself in real trouble. Heaving my camera bag and my carry-on over my shoulder. It's crazy how my whole life fits in two bags now. I pull the stylus from the PDA Steve talked me into buying. I'll never tell him how much I love it because, well, 
A girl's got to have at least some mystery, right? Poking at the screen, I find Steve's email. I almost trip over my own feet when I read the mailing address he sent. Steve's back in Boston? When the fuck did that happen? Steve. There are so many parties at this hotel that it takes several trips up and down the elevators before I finally find the placard identifying Kate's event. The moment I step inside, I hear, Hot Steve! Hearing my old nickname from Kate is actually kind of nice. I open my arms wide. Come here, you. She pats me on the back when I pull her in for a hug. It's so good to see you. You too. Shifting to her side, I scan the room. Where's Will? And hey, happy anniversary. Number 10, right? Yep, can't believe it. She makes a face. Unfortunately, he's not here. We had a babysitter snafu, so he's with the kids. She gestures around the room. As soon as I talk these people out of their money, I'll meet them back there for our little party. You're coming, right? Tapping a finger on my chin, I pretend to consider it, even as I'm scrambling, hoping we can pull off the caper without Will's help. I don't know, so many end of the millennium New Year's Eve party invitations. She pokes at my chest. Alice will be there. Feigning ignorance, I ask, Alice? Alice, what is her last name these days? She's back to Kim. As if my heart isn't going all pitter-patter at the prospect of actually seeing Alice, the woman I've chatted with on the phone almost daily for the past month. I do my best to adopt an indifferent tone. Is she coming to this shindig, too? She narrows her eyes at me as if she doesn't quite buy my performance. She's supposed to come here straight from the airport, but I haven't seen her yet. She scans the ballroom, which is set up more like a business conference than a gala. I was hoping to get her to talk to one of my local mentees. Following her gaze, I don't see Alice, but I do note that most guests are dressed for a night out. But instead of drinking and dancing, they're drinking and chatting at the presentation tables spread around the room. Perhaps Kate's idea is a good one. People can do a little giving back here before heading out for a night on the town. Don't see her. Kate gives me a quick pat on the shoulder. Keep an eye out for her, will you? Right now I have to go make sure that my PowerPoint is ready to go. Wow, look at you all up on the latest technology. Yeah, well, I hope I don't end up wishing for an old-fashioned slideshow. The AV people just keep yammering on about Y2K preparedness. I'm afraid they're going to screw up my presentation because they're so afraid of what's going to happen in a couple of hours. Yeah, you better get everyone's money before the world shuts down at 12.01. She shakes her head. God, I hope this hysteria is unfounded. I'm having a hard enough time wrapping my head around the idea that it's going to be a whole new millennium tomorrow. Makes me feel old. She scrunches up her nose before pointing in the direction of one of the tables. Anyway, you should talk to Randy over there. She wants to create a nonprofit that puts up races, 10Ks and marathons and stuff, like your company does, but with an added element of community building. Good idea. I nod. Maybe I can do a little pro bono consulting. Her brows rise. 
Or you could mentor her? And I can mentor her. I shake my head, but she's got me grinning. It's good to be back in Boston for lots of reasons, and Kate's definitely one of them. Glad to see you're still good at getting people to do what you want. After I grab a harpoon from the bar, smart Kate has local Boston brews instead of Bud and Michelob. I have a long chat with Randy. She's got some great ideas about putting together racing clubs for at-risk youth. Like Kate said, my company. God, I love saying that. Contracts to organize charity races. I'm happy to help her out. We exchange phone numbers and plan to meet in the new year. In the year 2000. Well, it is crazy. What's even crazier? It was a comment from Alice ten years ago that planted the seed that grew into the business that has me jumping out of bed every morning to get to work. Turns out there are a lot of people who want to run races. For fun, as a fitness goal to work toward, or as a serious competition. So my company makes that happen. I'm still selling things, but getting sponsors is not only easy, it does some good. Since we've gone national, I also get to travel. I've been wanting to tell Alice all about it, but working out the prank has taken priority in all of our phone calls. Just as I'm wondering if it's actually going to happen, since neither Will or Alice is here, my cell buzzes in my pocket. This is Steve. Houston, we have a problem. What do you need? I need you. I look up, and there she is, not ten feet away. Ending the call and shoving my PDA in my pocket, I've got her in my arms before I can take another breath. Alice. With a chest you can lean on and strong arms that support you without squashing, the man can hug. After what might have been 30 seconds or an hour, he steps away. What can I do? Was Hot Steve always perfect and I never realized it? Memories of our two nights together crowd my brain, and other places. However, our shenanigan plans are in danger, not to mention the fact that the guy is married. So I quickly reprioritize and grab his hands to pull him into the hallway. Operation 2000 is in motion. I need the hard drive so I can switch it for Kate's. Problem is, she's on the AV crew like a fly on honey, so I also need a distraction. Yeah, she's worried about Y2K. And did you hear? Will's at home. Babysitter malfunction. Got a cigarette? What? You're the one who got me to quit ten years ago. I did? Yeah. He crosses his arms, muscles bulging under a nicely tailored suit. Don't tell me you smoke now. No, I was just thinking it would complete the picture. Spies conferring and all. He taps his watch. Time's a waste to Missy. We're minutes from Kate's presentation, and you know the woman waits for nothing. I pace back and forth needing to expel the giddy energy incited by the situation, or the guy. There's got to be something. Her kids? No, I hate to use that. Baked goods? Are there any? He points at me. There's a Y2K cake. It's supposed to be pushed out at the end of the PowerPoint. Damn it. All I want to do is grab his face and kiss him. Down, girl. I point back at him instead. That's it. Hands dropping to his hips, he bites his lower lip the way I want to. 
They drop the cake, and Kate has to decide what to do. Perfect. Where's the hard drive? In my car. When he grabs my hand to pull me toward the exit, I have the fleeting, ridiculous feeling that I'd follow him anywhere. Because I can't do that, I put on the brakes. Dude, you couldn't have brought it up with you? Have you seen a hard drive? It's way too big to fit in a pocket, and it weighs like 10 pounds. All right, lead the way. We can finesse the cake plan on the way, but we've got a book. Steve. The dropped cake wild goose chase only buys Alice 15 minutes. I hope it's enough, because now Kate has one eye on her watch, and another on the giant descending screen as she trots across the ballroom with me in her wake. Trying to slow her down, I call... I don't know what that was all about. Maybe a cake for another event got dropped. All I get is the back of her shaking head. When the lights dim in the ballroom and a spot goes up on the podium, she picks up the pace. As Alice steps up to the microphone, I sprint to catch Kate before she charges up on the stage. I forgot to tell you, Alice wants to introduce you. Kate pushes me out of the way just as Alice says, good evening. Alice clears her throat, and the last of the chatter dies down. Kate's head swivels back and forth from the stage to me to the crowd. Finally, she crosses her arms and mutters, This better be good. Alice takes a sip of water. She looks a little nervous. I'm Alice Kim. I'm here to thank you all for coming tonight, and to introduce my best friend, Kate Bishop. I'm sure most of you know her already. What you might not know is that for Kate, it's not just the last New Year's Eve of the 20th century, which is a pretty big deal. It's also her 10th wedding anniversary. Why do I bring that up? I want you to know that she is so determined to do good in the world that she's spending this momentous occasion with all of you people. She taps a finger on her chin. What can I say that will convince you to open your wallets wide so that Kate can continue to give female entrepreneurs a leg up? So those women can create small businesses in towns and cities across this country. Businesses that help grow local economies. Hmm. You know, Kate had some lovely charts and graphs to show you, but I've got something better. What if we hear from the women themselves? Kate grabs my arm, whispering, what is she doing? Just wait. I squeeze her hand. I can't wait till Kate sees the video we put together. Well, I just called in a favor and had a buddy edit the slides into a montage with music and the women's recorded testimonials in the background. Alice spent the past few months flying around the country, meeting with Kate's grantees who live outside of Boston. Since it didn't make sense to bring them all here, Alice got them talking on tape and shot portraits that reveal each woman's pride, joy, and personality. The crowd is as spellbound as Kate by the presentation. When it's over and the applause finally fades, Alice steps back to the podium. Get out your checkbooks, folks. Here's Kate. I have to give Kate a little shove to get her moving. When her steps falter, I steer her to the stage and escort her up the steps. 
She hugs Alice and then continues to hang on to her hand as she makes her own short speech. When Kate finishes and the lights in the auditorium rise, she's mobbed by guests, giving me the opportunity to grab Alice's hand. Pulling her close, I whisper, that was perfect. When she pulls away from my embrace, it's like there's an entire movie playing in her eyes, but I can't tell if it's a romantic comedy or a buddy caper. Either way, I want in on the action, so I take action. Locating the closest exit, I guide her to it and pull her out into the hall. Taking a chance, I kiss her. She freezes for half a second, and I worry I've miscalculated. But then she's all in, as in she pushes me up against the wall and kisses me like no one has kissed me for the past ten years. But then she pulls away, walks like ten feet away, and starts cursing. I follow, but she wheels on me, her right hand a stop sign between us. No way, farm boy. This will not work. I'm stunned for a moment, but then I get it. Thankful I had the forethought to bring it with me, I pull my copy of Kate's wedding program from my jacket pocket. It's okay, Alice. We don't have to get married. We can be like Lloyd and Diane, friends with potential. Look, I'm ripping this up. As I do, another parade of emotion marches across her expressive face. Unfortunately, she lands on pissed off. Grabbing a few program shreds, she wads them into a ball and hurls it at me. Flinching back, I stutter, whoa, whoa, don't you woe me. Two little palms packing a surprising punch slam into my chest so hard that I stumble backwards. Just because you snap your fingers, just because you helped me with this little hack, you think I'm going to fall into bed with you? I am so confused. I really thought we'd connected again. Oh, uh, well, I wouldn't put it like that exactly. I, oh yeah? How would you put it? Peace on the side? Mistress? Concubine? What? What are you talking about? I can't believe Kate told you I had a thing with a married guy. Pacing, she kicks at the program scraps with so much rage, I'm relieved that she's taking this out, whatever this is, on something other than me. Just because I did it once does not mean I'm ever doing it again. I mean, this is not fatal attraction, but I'm not doing a Bridges of Madison County thing either. It takes me a minute to absorb this and put the pieces together in my head. By the time I do, she's kicked a trash can and is stomping down the hall. Running after her, more thankful than ever to be in shape, I get between her and the exit doors. Wait, Alice. Before she can yell at me again, I raise both palms. Please. But before I can ask if she's thinking what I think she's thinking, she bats my hands down. Incoming Kate at 11 o'clock. Blinking slowly, I shake my head. 11, it's not even eight. She rolls her eyes. 
I mean she's heading our way behind you and to the left. When I start to turn, she hisses, my left, your right, at the position of 11, like on a clock face? Oh, never mind. Ahem. Kate clears her throat behind me. Alice's grimace transforms to a saccharine smile. Surprise? Kate just glowers at us both, long enough for me to feel guilty about putting her on the spot at her own fundraiser, on her 10th anniversary, no less. But then she claps her hands and starts jumping up and down. It was awesome, you assholes. Wiping a hand over my face, happy to not have both women mad at me, I sigh. I'm glad you're not mad. Mad? We're set to blow our end of year goal out of the water. That's awesome. Alice's tone doesn't quite match her words. Yeah, good thing since this venue cost extra due to the holiday, but it was worth it. Anyway, she points a finger at her chest, then at each of us, as she says, I got you. Alice steps away from me. What do you mean? It may have taken ten years, but I finally got you two together. Kate seems happier about this than about the money she raised tonight. I shake my head. Wait, you knew we were going to switch out the presentation? She shrugs. I knew something was up. To Alice, she says, one of my mentees reached out to thank me for the portrait, but when I called her back to ask what she was talking about, she pretended that she didn't know what I was talking about. Then she aims a superior smirk at me. When Will asked for Alice's email address and I asked him why, he blurted your name out. I shake my head. Your husband is a terrible liar. She rolls her eyes. Tell me about it. He can't even keep our Christmas presents for the kids a secret. They already know how to work him. She points between us again. So, what's going on with you two? Nothing, Alice squeaks. Steve just helped me make the video and switch out the hard drives. I swear, I did not sleep with him. Kate pushes her lips into a pout. Oh, I thought maybe you were having a thing. Kate, how could you? Alice's fury is back. I told you I would never do that again. Kate looks as confused as I was earlier. Do what? Alice crosses her arms like she's barely holding back from knocking our heads together. Have an affair with a married man, she grits out. What are you talking about? Kate's obviously as confused as I was. Alice jabs a finger at me. He's married. No, I'm not. She wheels on me, practically stomping her feet. Yes, you are. I think I'd know, I sputter. Wait, she turns to Kate. He's not. No, dummy, he's divorced. I hold up a hand, scout's honor style. Two years ago. Hands on hips, she juts her chin at my fingers. 
Your hand says three, but your mouth says two. Are you not sure? I point to my hand. That's Scout's honor. It means I promise. She just narrows her eyes at me. It's been two years and three months since I signed the papers. Well, why didn't you say something? I thought Kate told you. She wheels on her friend. Yeah, why didn't you tell me? Kate dodges away. I thought you knew. She points at me. I haven't seen him for five years. Yeah, but you always brag about how you can find out things on that internet thing. Linus? Nexos? Alice rolls her eyes. Lycos or LexisNexis? Hey, my old firm funded Lycos. It was doing so great, but now that damn Ask Jeeves is getting a lot of traction. As much as the analyst in me would love to dive into this, Kate says, my point is, I thought you knew that Steve is definitely not married. She raises a brow at me, and neither is she, just to be clear. After a couple beats of silence, she whispers, See you later. I, uh, have funds to raise. Once we're alone, I reach for Alice's hand, but she whips it behind her back. We are still problematic. I break relationships. I keep my hand out and dig deep in my quote bank. Ever since I was a bridesmaid with you, it's like I've taken love heroin and you're the only fix I can... Ugh, that doesn't work. I rub my free hand over my face. Okay, um, something else from Sixteen Candles? Uh, I just want somebody to love who isn't psycho. Damn it, I can't remember anything good. She sighs, and I can't tell if she's about to laugh or cry. Oh wait, I've got it. I'm just a guy standing in front of a girl asking her to love him. Notting Hill, sort of. She stares at my open palm for another few excruciating moments, but instead of taking it, she roots through her shoulder bag. Just when it's getting awkward, she places a folded up piece of paper in my hand, heavyweight paper with a font I recognize. Unfolding the wedding program, I ask, you kept yours too? Her expression wistful, she whispers, that was such a long time ago, like lifetimes ago. I nod slowly, we were so innocent. Well, in some ways. Her cackle is anything but innocent, but it's followed by a deep sigh. For real though, Steve, marriage is not for me. I get it. I study the program for a few minutes, letting memories of that month with Alice play through my mind. Then, as sound from another party sifts into my ears, something occurs to me. You know what? We never danced at Kate's wedding. She furrows her brow. I guess we didn't. 
She looks up and down the hall. Too bad there's no music at this shindig. I cock my head. I hear music. She mirrors me, and then one corner of her mouth lifts in an almost smile. Prince, 1999. I raise a brow. Appropriate. She looks down the hall. For a moment, I'm afraid she's going to bolt. When she faces me, though, I get the full-on Alice smile, and she raises her arms in a dance frame. Look, no spaghetti arms. Sliding her copy of the wedding program into my jacket pocket, wishing the song wasn't so up-tempo, I lead her through my usual wedding dance moves. I'm no Patrick Swayze, but I'm rewarded with pink cheeks and a grin when I time the final twirl perfectly. But just as I'm about to punctuate it with a kiss, she stops me with a pat on the chest. Give me my program back. Uh, okay. I fish it back out of my pocket and hand it over. She searches through that bottomless purse and comes up with a pen. This time, when she uses my back as a desk, she mumbles to herself. Are you talking to me? I don't need to be with anyone, she says, raising her voice. I think she might be crossing things out in our little contract. I'm very independent and set in my ways. When she stops doing whatever she's been doing with the pen and program, I turn around slowly. She just shakes her head and hands it back to me. I can't. I don't know how to say what I want. After looking down at the page now covered in angry scribbles, I ball the program up and shoot it in the direction of the trash can she kicked over earlier. Then I turn back to her, hands out in what I hope is an appeasing gesture. You know... I'm not a negotiator. I'm a salesman. I just get you in the door. She stills. What if I want to exit the door? It stays open. Her forehead lands on my sternum again. Several times. So I take her gently by the upper arms and separate our bodies a bit. What do you need? Freedom. She sticks out a tempting lower lip. And security. So the freedom to come and go. For work, not from... She gestures back and forth between us. Whatever this is. Suddenly I remember sitting with Kate, ten years ago, after her honeymoon, and the parallel lines she drew. Taking Alice's hand, I turn her so we're facing the same direction and form similar lines with our hands. So freedom to explore the world with the security that someone's at your side along the way. Or at least back home at the apartment, waiting to hear how it's all going. When she bites her lip, I add, plus coffee in bed in the morning. She smirks. Who says you're not a negotiator? Extending my right hand, I make my best offer. 
I say we treat this partnership like a startup. No one knows where it's going, but it has a lot of promise. It'll take a bit of work, because we're doing something different and new. But I'm up for the challenge if you are. Finally, I get the full bore Alice smile, but she bats my hand out of the way. No contract, no license, no handshake. Let's seal this deal with a kiss. Just before our lips meet, she whispers, I always thought we'd be friends forever. Instead of answering with Kevin's line from St. Elmo's Fire, I go for Lloyd Dobler. We will be. Friends with infinite potential. Thank you for listening to Like It's 1999, performed by Cindy Kay and Ryan West. Both narrators are members of SAG-AFTRA, edited by Rick Agronik. Cover design by Lana Pahercik. Text copyright 2020 by Karen Gray. Production copyright 2021 by Home Cooked Books, a division of Jasper Productions, LLC. For the inside scoop on Karen Gray's upcoming releases, sales, giveaways, and other fun stuff, be sure to sign up for our newsletter at followkarengrey.com. Thank you for listening. And that's a wrap, guys. That's it. Oh, my God. The last book of 2021. It's crazy. I know. I can't believe it. And it's next crazy. season is crazy. We've already got so many oh people lined Oh, my God. Up. The amount of – what did that say? Like 28, I think, is what we have for next Something year. like that. Do you know there's only 52 weeks in a year, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we take a few off here yeah, and there. Uh-huh. Just a couple. So this season only runs till August. <laughs> So, yeah. um, I'm sure we'll probably be doing some kind of giveaways and all kinds of crap. So make sure you guys are in the Read Me Romance Facebook group. Yeah, come join And make sure you're signed up for the newsletter. Please, please, please. Yes, do it. <laughs> do it. And I think that's pretty much it. No, well, I'll put you a link, too, if you want to check out more books by this author. Yes. Karen so Gray's like, got all, like, tons of audios. Oh, and she's doing a giveaway of audio, or uh, paperbacks this week. So make sure you enter in this week's giveaway. But she's got a ton of stuff on Audible that looks so freaking charming. So if you love this, you'll love everything. All right. I guess we will see you guys next year. Oh, my God. So tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make sure your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book that's fine Or you could sit back, relax, and unwind And read me romance